The following podcast is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen orders at the link below. Or use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows keys at another sponsor, cdkeyoffers.com. Links for both are in the description. Now on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, It Follows Tom, and I'm joined on this almost most spooky of episodes by my co-host, Hereditary Dan. Also, probably practically tied for my favorite scary movie with It Follows. I think It Follows is one of those movies that I watched and I was like, oh my God, I just had to go back and see it in theaters again. Um, but Hereditary was pretty much the same. I mean, it's but for me, my favorite scary movies, it's, yeah, it's like those two. Midsummer's actually also up there. And I actually think like Paranormal Activity and the first Conjuring movie were really, really good. There's a lot of good scary movies. Insidious was good. I don't know. Happy Halloween, everybody, or almost Halloween if you're, when you're listening to this. I mean, what, what do you think of my thoughts on favorite scary movies, Dan? You know, I think, uh, I think there's been a resurgence in horror movies in the past like 10 years. And I think they're going strong still, man. Excited for whatever Ari Aster and Robert Eggers put out next. I don't remember scary movies really ever being scary. Like, in so much as if it scared me when I was little, it's because I was a little kid, not because the movie was good. (laughs) I think there were almost no good scary movies. I'm not saying there were none. There were a few. But almost no good scary movies before about 15 years ago. Yeah, I... Kind of agree. I, there's some classics that are obviously always going to be good, like Alien. But yeah. But like, how often was a scary movie or an arguably scary movie coming out that was that good? Like, frankly, you say Alien, and I'm trying to think of any scary movie after that until recent scary movies that even competes. Like, I almost think none. The thing's pretty good, but I think that's more of a mm-hmm. fun movie than scary because it's. I, it's a creative monster and with like a like weird take on a whodunit story almost. We would put that in the same category as Cabin in the Woods. I'm not going to call Cabin in the Woods really a scary movie, although it is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, Cabin in the Woods is also very good. So, But this is not meant to be. <laughs> some horror movies if you're looking for a spooky movie this Halloween. <laughs> right, some, some advice for you guys. I think this is... Supposed to be a gaming hardware podcast, but we thought we'd lighten it up with a little bit of horror talk in the beginning, um, as this is, this should come out, like, I think literally like a week before Halloween and the public feeds, uh, and on Patreon, it should come out like almost exactly on Halloween. Uh, so there's that, um, I don't know, how are you doing today, Gan? Uh, I guess I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing good right now, but here's the thing. I woke up at 1.30 today, <laughs> p.m., <laughs> and I had an alarm set hours before that and I just went right through it it's been you know it's been a weird weekend I also somehow went to sleep at like 6 a.m the previous night and then I'm like okay so I'm just gonna rough it and I'm gonna 
make up for, you know, go to sleep a little earlier and then get up at a reasonable time on Sunday. And then I woke up and looked at my alarm and it just said like 140. And I'm like, what? So honestly, I'm very cogent right now because if you think about it, I've really only been awake as of when we're recording this for about five hours. So like I'm at like peak mental capacity, actually. So I think this will help our listeners, but I'm a little concerned about myself. I can't become the guy that just wakes up at 1 p.m. every day. Yeah, that's probably not the best thing to do. But, you know, a couple days in a row isn't that bad. I guess. Becoming worried. Greeny writes in. And he says, greetings, Tom and Dan. I know I might get some flack for this, but I'm asking the question anyways. The deadline to submit games for the Game Awards shows is less than a month away. And in light of what are some of your favorite games, uh, what what are some of your favorite games that have come out this year? Thank you. P.S. Will you be dressing up Reese for Halloween? I have not decided yet. I will be going to a Halloween party and my dog will be brought with me. And I haven't decided. I do have a, a Princess Leia costume that my parents got her for a... <laughs> dog Halloween party they had a few years ago. I don't remember why they were watching her on Halloween where I was, but I'm considering dressing up uh, Reese for Halloween. So that's the answer to that question. But I don't I don't know why you'd get flack for this, Green. I think that's a good question. I feel like compared to other kind of gaming release business side hardware-focused podcast, we talk about the actual games the least amount compared to some of our contemporaries. I'm not afraid to talk about it if you guys want us to. I Honestly, for me, ah, I'm trying to think. So games, what, see, because I'm trying to think of like games I played this year. I honestly think right now the winner is actually Hitman 3, which I haven't talked about on the show almost at all. But just so people know, I've been playing that like a lot the past few months. And it's because like there was some deal where like Hitman 2 was free. And then I started playing it. And then I discovered you can download a package to play Hitman 2's levels in the Hitman 3 engine. And then Hitman 3 was also on sale. And I bought that. And then there's an upgrade pack that brings all of Hitman 1's levels upgraded with Hitman 3 graphics <laughs> and all of the DLC. So I had Hitman 1, all of the Hitman 1 DLC, Hitman 2, all of the Hitman 2 DLC. I also bought that. And Hitman 3, I basically had like 40 missions of Hitman in the newest like 4K graphics. And so I've just been able to just before I go to bed, just play a quick 15 or 30 minute mission. I, I've been, I really recommend that if you can get all those games together in the, like for like $60, it is so much content. And I, I've just been, and like, you know, I think most of the Hitman 1 missions aren't as good as Hitman 2s and certainly not Hitman 3s, but it's like, eh, big deal. Like I'm for like five bucks, you know? They're, yeah. and, they're, and they're in the new engine and, uh, I've just been loving it. I don't know. I don't know what you think. I know. Think. I think you also bought Hitman Three, but I don't know what would be your game of the year so far. I haven't really played much new games this year. Most of my gaming time has been playing online with people. So I, I honestly don't know if I have a game of the year this year. Like I want to play Hitman. I want to play Resident Evil Eight. I want to play Returnal, but I I really haven't touched them that much yet. Yeah. So. And and I guess that's the thing I'll be clear about. When I say my game of the year, I'm not like saying this with the authority of trying to give it the best advice on the most impactful game you'll play like someone like IGN or GameSpot may do. I'm just saying that's a game that I wasn't expecting to play this year that I played <laughs> and probably enjoyed for the most amount of time. I played Returnal and I think it's excellent. 
I just haven't been in the right mood to play it. I haven't even tried Deathloop. So I'm not saying that is the best game of the year, but that's the one that I've probably had the most fun playing this year. Unless we're talking again about, let's be honest, we just playing Deep Rock Galactic and co-op for hundreds of hours. That's the other yeah. thing we've been doing this year. Um, anyways, let us move on then to corrections and omissions. AC666 writes in, and he says, Lobster back here. I will point out a genuine reason as why I might not like American chocolate. Now, this is a continuation, I believe, of the corrections and omissions from the last Dan episode, all right, where he basically, I, there was a reader mail from AC666 that I remember dissed American chocolate, and me and you had issue with saying all of anything from America's bad, because you're probably just thinking of Hershey. We both yeah. think Hershey tastes like crap. But to continue his question, I've eaten both U.S. and U.K. Mars and Milky Ways. I think Cadbury's as well. After watching a TV documentary, it went over the differences in chocolate manufacturing in America, which uses butyric acid to make chocolate, something not found in European methods. Right? Again, though, so the article you link to literally has Hershey's chocolate in the title. <laughs> so, AC, I feel like you're kind of sidestepping our point which is to say that Hershey's chocolate tastes like garbage in our opinion. And we agree. And like Milky Ways, I don't really eat Milky Ways. I don't even know if I've had a Mars bar. I don't know what a Mars bar is if I'm being 100% honest. I've heard of it. For, I mean, I assume it's made by aliens. I don't know. This is the best I can get out of context clues from its name. But what I would say is that my favorite American chocolates are generally speaking, not mainstream chocolate bars. I never really go for chocolate bars either. And if it is mainstream candy, it's like Butterfinger and Reese's. Reese's. And I believe AC wrote in that old reader mail that Reese's is really good. So again, stop throwing all of these great 50 states under the bus because Hershey's makes chocolate that tastes like vomit, according to your article you've linked, because we're not arguing with you that Hershey's isn't bad. And by the way, I have another problem here because he brings up UK chocolate. And if you're going to diss American chocolate, I feel like the UK is a weird group to get nationalistic about. Why would you not be choosing Belgian or German chocolate that I think on average does taste better than American? It's a weird thing, you lobster back, to be attacking American chocolate and then bring up the UK and ignore Belgium. Like, what Belgian are you talking about? It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you were to say Belgian chocolate is on average better than American, we would agree. Well, you keep pointing to Hershey's and we also don't like it. You keep pointing to the UK. And I don't know why. I Get don't know why. Together. Get your act together, AC. But on the other end of the day, I feel like AC 666, we're both saying the same thing and not realizing we agree. So let's end it at that. And also, I think a lot of people in the last Tom and Dan episode, which is really a half Tom and Dan, half interview with Silicon Lottery. Check that out. That interview is really good, guys. I feel like a lot of people got mad that we said lobster backs and dissed the UK. Guys, we don't actually care. I studied for a semester in England. I like England. But I'm going to keep calling you lobster backs because you lost the Revolutionary War. And it's just, it comes with the territory. The internet isn't uh, devoid of insults to Americans that I'm not offended by. Exactly. We don't care if you make fun of America. It's also, you can call us Yanks if you want. And just remember, if you get offended at the jest that we may throw towards the UK, towards France, or even towards America, remember that we don't actually care. <laughs> we don't care. And there's plenty to make fun of about America. So go for it. <laughs> Absolutely, there is.
Uim, 3080 Ti buyer man, writes in. And he says, hello, Tom. You said NVIDIA should release a 4000 series to fix uh, the, the price and VRAM segmentation. Dan also mentioned NVIDIA having 12 SKUs in their desktop product stack and that it was very confusing. However, Super SKUs are meant to replace existing cards. A 3060 Super would likely replace the 3060 Ti. Yeah, I, and probably the 3060 to a certain degree as well. Getting the same performance and more VRAM for a similar price. The 2070 Super and 3080 Super replace their non-super counterparts were offering higher performance. The 2060 Super offered basically 2070 performance for $100 less than the 2070. Also, you said the Steam Deck... Okay, so let's address that on its own. Um, yeah, I th- feel like we touched on that, though, didn't we, Dan? Like, we basically said openly multiple times, I thought, that keep in mind anything that's going on with how bizarre the product stack. I think he's kind of referencing you, like you're like, oh, great. So now they're going to add like three more things to this product stack. I think we also addressed though, that it's to replace existing ones. Yeah. I I said that having 12 products in a product stack is confusing. And that's probably an argument for why they would get rid of several products in the product stack, even though I would still argue having three thirty sixty variants (laughs) out there, even if they're not producing one of them anymore, is still odd and confusing for a lot of people. Well, I mean, I guess they did in the Fermi era have the, what, oh, four God. variants of the 560. They had so right? many variants. <laughs> they had the five, I love talking about this, the 560 SE, the 560, the 560 Ti, and the 560 Ti 448 edition. Yes. Yeah. They had four of those. For all I know, there was some other one as well. But um, I, I yeah, I guess what we're saying is this, then. The su- the super series makes some sense if they literally obsolete old stuff, but at the same time, I think from mine and your perspective, if it's possible, look, I don't know exactly when Lovelace is going to come out. I don't know exactly how they're going to segment that lineup if they're going to dual source between Samsung and TSMC for sure. What I will say, if it's possible though, I just think it would make more sense instead of doing a ridiculous super release to just start the 4000 series early if they can and like call the 4060 whatever the 3070 super is going to be and the or call that the 4060 ti or whatever and call like whatever the 3060 super 12 gigabyte was going to be call that the 4060 or something you know like do that if you can instead of just throwing out more supers i don't know oh. Or I, I guess I don't know if there's some marketing reason or some marketing team reason why they wouldn't just go to the 4000 series. But, you know, it's been it, when it comes out, it will be, have been over a year since right. the original 3000 series came out. That's fine. Even if it's large. Not re- it's not really even a rebrand, though, even though if it's it, kind of a rebadge of at least Ampere, it's over a year from their 30 series release go to the 40 series and lovelace might be coming out 10 months later sure that's a somewhat short product cycle but it's not that short and then they can just go to the 50 series with that or something right i would even go as far as to say that they don't even need to be afraid to just do a full refresh which is what i think they should do of the entire lineup and then call lovelace the 5000 series like come on you know, add 5 to 10% performance to the 3090, which we'll get to later in this episode. And just call it the 4090 or honestly call it the 4080 Ti. And then like rebrand, you know, down the stack all the way, adjust the pricing. You can price it whatever you want. Call it a 4080 Ti for 1500 1800 Instead of calling it the 3090 Ti, 
call, you know, call it a 4070 instead of a 3070. And that's what the 3070 Super was going to be. Even if it's only 10% better than the 3070. Well, now it has 16 gigabytes and it's just less confusing. I, even if you only add 10% performance and more VRAM across the entire product stack, I just think it makes sense to make a new 4000 series. And then at the end of, uh, you know, 10 months later, let's say, at the end of 2022, just call Lovelace the RTX 5000 series. I, I think yeah. that's just so much less confusing. I I agree. I Once again, there's seems to be some marketing thing that they've adopted in the past few years where they think that where they only want their architecture to be one generation. That's the like best thing with I can Pascal think of. is what they kind of did, right? Yeah, which that's the best I can think of for why they wouldn't move on to a new series. But like the name of a series isn't necessarily tied to the architecture it used or the, there's no objective reason you can't call have Ampere for two generations. Yeah, they redid Fermi because it had issues and, you know, it was fine. Eight months later, 500 series. Way less confusing than if they would have had even more 60 TIs thrown around to what they already had. I mean, look at AMD. They did the same architecture for like <laughs> several years. Well, not several. For a few years, multiple times, though, I think, right? Like, Oh, yeah. There was tons of rebranding going on during the GCN era. And the RX 580 came out, I think, like 10, 11 months after the 480. Because why not? You know, yeah. you know, or you can call it the 490, the whatever, you know, it's a little confusing. But um, he has another correction here. He says, also, you said the Steam Deck performs similar to last gen. Well, generally, it is a lot less. And performs similar to la last gen while having, like, performance problems. He says, I'd say it's like last gen. So it's like base PS4 with slightly lower settings and a much lower resolution, likely because of lower memory bandwidth. Doom Eternal on PS4 ran at 1080p 60 at about medium settings. I think that the way I would put it is the Steam Deck will run seven, sub 720p much better than a PS4 would. In other words, if the PS4 has a weaker CPU and is mostly a 1080p 30 console, then this is probably pretty comfortably a 720p 60 console, but with some lower settings. I just, again, I'm not trying to dock it. I'm just trying to make that clear because that doesn't sound like an enthusiast gaming device to me. And I just remember early marketing being like enthusiast gaming on the go. And I'm like, I wasn't aware 720p low was enthusiast or it's, they you know, and even then it struggles in some games. If they managed to get something that was like, I don't a PS5, I mean, not PS5, PS4 Pro performance, maybe, I think. Even if it was 720p, like if it was like 720p yeah. ultra sit locked at 60, then Eh, I'm not going to argue it's enthusiast gaming, you know, because the screen's small enough, but I, I don't know. And again, I, all this is to say, look, it's, it is definitely in some capabilities way stronger than a PS4, but I'm usually talking about the graphics card. I'm not trying to dock the Steam Deck. I'm just trying to set realistic expectations because it, it got to the point where I saw videos coming out where people were saying the best price performance gaming device you're going to get is a Steam Deck. And I'm like, no, you're not. It's $500 and as strong as a PS4. It is not the best price performance you're going to get, even with shortages. No, 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 no. Guys, control yourselves. That, <laughs> I mean, that's a bizarre stance to take like that. You're you're getting worse price performance than you got when the PS4 came out. So, or roughly equivalent price performance. So, no, that's just the most bizarre stance to take. The best price performance you're going to get is this point is probably what the PS4 discless edition. Yeah, let us move on 
to the first story. Story number one, Otter Lake summary and pricing discussion. I didn't even give like a very official title, nor did I do a write-up for this. Really, we're about one to two weeks before the launch of Alder Lake. And I just, I'll, there's this is when you just have a flurry of random performance benchmarks, pricing suggestions, and hot takes coming out before a product launch. I didn't feel comfortable framing the discussion around anything specifically. I just, let's talk about Alder Lake briefly here. We're going to talk about it in a much more concrete and full manner once it's out. You know, I'm even hoping to get like, hopefully like a good tech, a big tech tubers, you know, or maybe benchmarker on like a couple weeks after Alder Lake's out to have a full postmortem. Is there anything coming out in the recent Alder Lake leak stand that is sticking out to you that you have anything to say? Like there's been some pricing suggestions, more performance leaks coming out, the platform, some talks about the platform itself. Like, is there anything that stuck out to you? You know, we talked about this briefly before we started recording. I think the big thing that that stands out to me mostly is it sounds like it might be a little higher price than we were uh, hoping for. Not so high that it's not so high that like it's now a bad proposition, but slightly higher than you would hope for. And that's the most I can say. Like, I, I feel like we've been talking about Alder Lake forever. And I'm not sure what, how much more I have off the top of my head until I see the, you know, official uh, reviews for it come out. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is, I, it feels like we've been saying the same stuff for about six months now, Dan. It, yeah. Like, which is to say, and I keep pointing back to my, like, I think it was, Jan- I think it was in February, I put out a leak confirming IPC and multi-core, roughly multi-core performance of Alder Lake. You know, we've known the IPC for two years for my Golden Cove leak. We've been talking about what the multi-threaded performance could be for over a year. But in February, I put out, I got very firm information on what mobile Alder Lake performed like. And I said, it doubles multi-threading performance over Tiger Lake and has 20% higher single core. And I said, based on that information that I can now 100% confirm, I would estimate desktop Alder Lake will beat Zen 3 at all gaming and single-threaded, and that in multi-threaded, it's likely to beat the 5900X, but it's unlikely to raffle stomp the 5950X. And until we know final clock speeds, that's all I can say. And that was back kind of when early Tiger Lake was out. But since then, there's been a desktop NUC version of Tiger Lake that clocks over 5 gigahertz. So that told you, Months ago, oh, 10 nanometers fully working, guys, for sure. You know, and that was yeah. at 65 watts. So we have a Tiger Lake boosting above 5 gigahertz with eight cores at 65 watts. On the same node, what do you think Alder Lake's probably going to do? It's going to probably boost above 5 gigahertz and probably use like 150 or more watts. And, and that's what we're seeing. I've seen all these hot takes coming out. Oh, it's going to use 300 watts. Oh, it's going to do this. All I can say is that top Alder Lake, at least from my perspective, has always been expected to use about as much energy as Rocket Lake in the top end, but use less lower down the product stack when it's not pushed as hard and has as many cores. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, in terms of the pricing, the only thing I will add is I almost put out a video between Friday and Sunday before this came out, looking at pricing stuff I've been sent. But I'm glad I've held back because there's several official retailers and people I've been in contact at some of these retailers saying slightly different pricing. So I, I don't know, really helps, let's be honest, helps me 
to put a flag <laughs> in the ground on pricing because I think Intel can adjust pricing plus or minus 20% until the day it comes out. They can. And, and so I guess, Dan, the one thing I'd, uh, I'd address about you talking about the pricing is I don't think it is really costing more than I expected. I've, I've always said the lower end and mid-range of the product stack should be almost exactly in line with previous launches, which is to say i5s are between what? 200 to two to three something, 300 something, usually below 300 actually, usually in the 200s. And then i7s these days, not used to be, but these days i7s tend to be 350 to 450. I'm not really seeing a whole lot of suggestions that it's going to be much more than old pricing, just slightly higher than that. Oh, but the i9 will probably cost an extra 100 bucks over Rocket Lake because it can. But keep in mind, that is aggressively priced compared to Zen 3 that it's competitive with. It's not going to be $800. And those rumors about a $1,000 Alder like pissed me off. It's all bullshit. Well, yeah. And like, it, you know, like if the i9 does end up coming like that leak out of uh, Micro Center, I think, mm-hmm. says that it priced it at $670. You know, it's still slightly more than the 59. Well, not slightly anymore at that point. It's decently more than the 5900X and slightly less than the 5950. That's probably ultimately where it should be pricing wise if, uh, you know, these uh, benchmarks are accurate. Like it's going to beat the 5950 and single threaded and probably lose a little bit uh, in multi threaded. So the $600 range, uh, I mean, 600 to 699 range for the 12900K makes perfect sense for what they're selling. Yeah. And if I was Intel, and I know they're doing this. They're like, hmm, what's the fuck? Because keep in mind, whatever they sell to like Dell and HP and stuff is not the price we're seeing. Like, so the do-it-yourself price at this point is so, <laughs> it's almost just like, what are we saying it's going to cost? And, you know, yeah. it, it's almost like this balance of like supply meeting demand at launch and what you can get away with long-term. And so it's like, well, Zen 3 costs more than it really normally would. So they have to think about where AMD can drop the price. But then they also have to balance that with the fact that Alder Lake's probably not going to stay in stock this holiday season. So oh, being no. aggressive doesn't really serve them. Uh, if I were them, I would try to target the i9 where I know the Zen 3 could be. So I would target it, you know, if the, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, I own one. The 3950X from Zen 2 was 750. They jacked up the price with Zen 3 despite it being on the same node. So I'm sure Zen 3 could be 650 or less if they wanted it. It could probably be 599. I would target the i9 at 599 for the number one gaming chip if I was Intel. And I would put the i7 probably at about $500 because it's going to also beat AMD's at gaming at everything. And people have yeah. shown they've always been willing to pay $500 for the best gaming processor. But those that needs to be balanced with the idea that those top processors are going to need expensive DDR5 and motherboards to support them. But these are the top gaming chips, so gamers will pay for it. As you move down the product stack, you have to realize, yeah, I, the i5 is going to beat the 5800X like I leaked a couple months ago. But is that just with DDR4 or with DDR5? That's why I would keep the i5 at 300 bucks if I was Intel. From what I've actually heard, they may even go for like 270 in the final pricing, which I'll probably do a video on it this week after the podcast comes out. But that's basically my thoughts is the i5 should be about the price of previous i5s because the platform costs more. And they should have the i7s and i9s, especially the i7s, a bit lower in cost than like the 5900X and 5950X respectively because of the platform cost, but not so much less because people will pay more for the best gaming chips. Yeah, that's true. And also, if we're talking about the platform, though, like you said, this is the top gaming 
platform uh, once it comes out, almost definitely. And I don't think it's going to be the top gaming platform by some pitiful margin like it used to be, where people were arguing it was still worth it to buy because, you know, the, what is it, like the 10900K only costs like $200 more and you get 3% more performance or whatever (laughs) it was at the time. Like you, you will actually see a decent uplift in performance over Zen 3. And I think discussing platform costs, you have to think like, is, is it really a, a, a weird argument to make? Like the platform itself is also more expensive. Like people are willing to buy that because you're buying an, uh, the first real i9 or whatever branding BS they want to go with in years, I would argue. You're mm-hmm. going to want to pair that with the best tech that's available at the time. So I don't know why you would want to get an 11900, I mean, not 11, a 12900K and not pair it with DDR5. And sure, that will make it a bit more expensive. But anybody getting this, I think, is making a at least couple grand PC anyways. And it has 16 cores total, and it competes with the 5950X almost in multi-threading, from my understanding. Yeah. It, it, it's probably going to win in some. Again, I'm, I'm not really... I'm going to do an analysis video probably before Alder Lake comes out. I'm not really going to, you know, again, plus minus 20%, you know, I'm not going to put my exact percentage increment down what I expect out of it versus Zen 3. But, you know, a lot of people call the top, you know, AM4 Zen chips, like, you know, the 3950X, which I own one, or the 5950X pseudo HEDT chips. And I agree with them. They can support 120 oh, yeah. gigabytes of RAM. They, they have 32 threads. Well, if it's competitive at least even between the 5900X and maybe 5950X, then that means that Alder Lake is also a pseudo HEDT chip. DDR5 memory capacities. You can have hundreds of gigabytes on an Alder Lake system and it has PCIe 5.0. Guys, this is competing with low-end Threadripper, especially based on the story we're about to get to, by the way. Like, this will be competing with low-end Zen 2 Threadripper and some workloads for professionals. This, there's a reason it's expensive, guys. It's impressive. Give me a break. I'll get, I'll get my full opinions out. But for now, that's my opinions on it. Like I did say, though, at this point, if AMD doesn't release a Zen 3 Threadripper sometime soon, then you're really going to have 24-core Zen 2 Threadripper competing with 16-core Alder Lake. Even if Alder Lake uses 200-plus watts, that's how much Threadripper uses, and it can have higher capacities. I think there's an argument to be made that in some ways, for a lot of people, Alder Lake could take the mantle of pseudo HDT competing with HEDT chips that are out there from the competitor, especially when you consider what I'm about to say. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great windows and gaming keys you need at cdkeyoffers.com. That includes Steam, Origin, Uplay, PlayStation, PC, and many other keys, including Windows, Microsoft Word, and Professional. Use the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all of these fancy Windows keys and dashing for 3% off everything on the website. One more time, that's go to cdkoffers.com. They're a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. 
and story number two. AMD Chagall, which is Zen 3 non-pro threadripper, canceled. So I have a little write-up here. Throughout 2021, a lot of people have been consistently asking Moore's Law's dead and other leakers, when is Zen 3 Threadripper coming? And seriously, all of 2021, guys, people have been asking this. Well, for most of the year, both Moore's Law's dead and most of his contacts, frankly, were skeptical it was ever coming out. After all, there just never seemed like enough smoke any given month that there was a Zen 3 Threadripper coming around the corner. However, on July 15th, Moore's Law's dead confirmed that there was indeed some planned Zen 3 Threadripper meant to launch in quarter four, specifically in November. But yet here we are now, quarter four, 2021, specifically almost November. Where is Zen 3? Well, according to a Moore's Law's Dead source and executable fix on Twitter, Zen 3 Chagall is canceled. But the pro models are still likely coming out. What's odd is after speaking offline with executable fix, how similar his details were to Tom's. So we have separate sources saying very similar things. Guys, Zen 3 Threadripper, the non-pro versions, does seem canceled. And frankly, just stepping away from my write-up here, if you just think about it, guys, it's almost November. Where is it? And we, we don't have the packaging leaking, nothing. It, it, I think yeah. it's canceled. And it seems like we should expect some very, very big updates on AMD's roadmap before the end of the year. AMD is changing a lot of plans. That's the, that's the end of this write-up here, where I just want to emphasize that both me and Executable Fix agree Something's going on. There's no Zen 3 Threadripper non-pro models coming. It kind of sounds like they might not launch, at least, again, to non-pro. They might have pro versions, but they might not have non-pro Zen 3D Threadripper. And yet something's going on with Zen 4 Threadripper, maybe being accelerated, and Raphael, the AM5 version of Zen 4, seems to have some roadmaps changing and maybe being accelerated. There's a lot of changes going on behind the scenes at AMD. And I think about... a couple months ago, they started taking Alder Lake extra seriously. And then they caught wind of when I leaked Raptor Lake first. And they're like, oh, we, we've got to reevaluate what we're going to launch <laughs> every month because Intel is coming back sooner than expected, at least in a competitive way. Um, so yeah, I, lots of changes coming, including Zen 3 Threadripper canceled. I mean, what do you think, Dan? You know... I guess I have a question for you, like with mm. you and Executable Fix, do you guys have like a coherent thoughts about like what exactly is going on at AMD, like why everything is changing so much so quickly, like, or what direction they're moving in? Because it's almost hard to discuss them, the cancellation, I guess, of Threadripper and the, because it's just kind of odd that it's not here yet. Like, I, I'm not sure what else to add to that other than I'm when things take this long to be announced, you begin to start thinking maybe it's just not real or maybe it's canceled because, you know, Zen 3 has been around for exactly a year now. Yeah. But, uh, other than that, this a coherent reason as to why it's canceled is, I don't know, hard for me to come up with. A lot of it has to do with shortages and demand. So mm -hmm. AMD is taking server market share rapidly, and they're actually taking laptop market share rapidly too, and they want to continue that with Rembrandt early next year. And I've said that even though I think Alder Lake Mobile is going to be incredibly impressive, that due to momentum alone, AMD is likely to take more laptop market share. Like it just takes years for HP and Dell to take them seriously, and then they mm -hmm. do. And so they're probably going to keep taking it, even if Alder Lake 
ties or beats Rembrandt. I actually think that. So that's their focus right now. And it's like, why bother launching Threadripper? We have no competition. Intel's best thread for competitors are 18 core, 14 nanometer chips. And they have ice like, you know, workstation chips that are up to, I think, 38 or 40 cores. I don't remember if they went up to 40 cores for the workstation Xeons. I don't remember. But like, you know, that's still not competition for Zen 2 Threadripper with 64 cores. Who cares, guys? You know, I just don't think they can keep that in stock and they want to make sure they take as much Epic as they can right now. Why use the same chips used for Epic for a Zen 3 Threadripper launch, especially if Zen 4 Genoa, at least for now, is expected to come out before Raphael? They really wanted to. They could probably get a Zen 4 Threadripper out quarter three next year. So what, are they going to launch this and have it only supported for... I, I don't know. I almost think they should do like a special edition Zen 3D Threadripper launch mid next year before Zen 4 Threadripper comes out at most because they just don't need anything else. Like I believe we talked about this. I don't remember the exact number, but they're taking a pretty decent amount of the server market at this point already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I, I guess I think prioritizing normal desktops is probably a, another important factor for them because they're really quickly... Uh, taking over the mind share of CPU buyers over Intel because Intel just has nothing to offer. Like even to the point where I think pe- some people online are being stupidly anti-Intel with all their like, like yeah. I saw one comment compare uh, compare Intel's Alder Lake to having a having an engine that has half cylinders instead of full cylinders, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Um, no, the little cores are not half cylinders, guys. The <laughs> little cores in Alder Lake are better than Zen 1. So, yeah. Unless you think Zen 1's not a real core. So I guess prioritizing that makes sense, especially when you consider the fact that the 5950X is basically an HEDT uh, CPU already. Right, so, and then they're going to have to focus on launching Zen 3D in like January. Yeah, um so it's like, ah, so here's what I think. AMD, I think, sat down and they said, are we really going to launch standard Zen 3 Threadripper next to Zen 3D AM4? Really? Why would we do yeah. that? I think it would behoove AMD to just do a limited Zen 3D Threadripper release so they can say they supported Zen 3 on Threadripper quarter one, quarter two next year. Maybe not even do 64 cores. Just say, hey, look, we are launching a 32 core Zen 3D for a limited time at, to combat maybe a Sapphire Rapids HEDT chip too. Like that's kind of yeah. what I think they'd pro- they're, they'd be better for them to do is just do a Zen 3D Threadripper launch on the same socket and just not even bother with all this other crap because it just looks weird launching Zen 3 next to Zen 3D on AM4, especially if they can get Zen 4 out less than a year after that would come out. Especially if they could get Threadripper out next to Zen 4, uh, like within a couple months or something and not <laughs> not have a delayed launch. I guess I don't know if they ultimately will do that. And if they release a Zen 3D Threadripper, like like you said, like even just one model of that, that might be a good enough stopgap for maintaining whatever uh, level they need for HEDT. Right. And I talked to Executable Fix about that, too. You know, I have that leak, which I think a link will be in the description for that. I've already put that there to a note to keep that in the description for this is my old Threadripper roadmap leak, where I was like, look, 
a lot of this is going to change, but at the very least, I'm 100% sure this is what AMD is considering launching every quarter. And one of them was a 3D Zen 3 Threadripper. I don't know that that's... I'm not saying that I think that is coming out, but I want to be clear because an executable fix is really doubtful of that too. And he has really good sources and we talk a lot. I, I, you know, I, I, I want to be clear. My source that told is that told me about Zen three Threadripper being canceled is not a source that he uses and told me that directly. He's like, Oh, I just saw executable fix. Just so you know, I don't talk to this guy. So he's saying the same thing as you, Tom, you know? So all I can say is that when it comes to like what other updates are coming and what, why you think AMD is doing this, I know Executable Fix believes he will have answers, some answers, before the end of the year. And so then I also suspect I will from separate sources. We'll both let people know when we think we know what's going on. But if I was AMD right now, I would be considering a full, you know, Ryzen 6000 Zen 3D lineup launch. Not all models, but, you know, like a 5950, a 6950X that has Vcash on it, a 6900X that has Vcash on it and a 6800X that has Vcash on it, and then an overclocked, effectively, 5600X for the 6-core. Maybe a 50, maybe a 60, what would it be, 700X? That's an 8-core without Vcash for a cheaper price. Like, that's what I would do if I was AMD, and maybe a limited Zen 3D Threadripper launch next to that, and then just try to accelerate Zen 4 as much as possible, whether for just Threadripper or not, and make sure Raphael's is as competitive as possible. Though, as far as we can tell, Raphael still just has 16 cores, I will say that, even if it gets PCIe 5.0. And another thing I want to throw in there as well is, keep in mind, though, that Zen 3D is coming. And no one, as we'll talk about in a second, should have expected it this year. But it should be like a pretty clean 10% boost. You know, 15% in gaming, 7 to 8% in everything else boost over Zen 3. So if Alder Lake's 10 to 15% better in gaming than Zen 3, Zen 3D is going to almost tie it and probably catch up or win in multi-threading again. And as far as I am told, Zen 3D's yields are maybe 5% worse than Zen 3 now. To a, well, maybe 10% due to contributing factors. Like if one thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong, that means the yields are really exponentially a little worse. But, you know, that type of thing because of packaging. But they can afford to sell a 6950X at like 600 if they probably want to, guys, just so you know. Yeah, I mean, my suspicion is Zen 3D is to try to maintain the MSRP of whatever current parts they're replacing Zen 3D. I'd with. say that's their goal right now, but if it mm-hmm. can't, they'll be not afraid to lower the price. I mean, if Intel makes that look stupid, AMD kind of has to, has to respond by lowering their prices. But yeah, if they can catch up to Intel or even beat them, I guess, depending on where the cards fall at the end of the day. Intel will only have had like a couple months of superiority in the market and AMD will have a very nice uh, news cycle for them well, when 3D comes out. You know what, Dan? Speaking of news cycles, I think we're already dancing around half of the stuff in the next story. So let's just move yeah. on to it. Story number three, AMD five years of Ryzen interview. A whirlwind of discussion on mostly old news. On October 12th, AMD held an interview titled Five Years of Ryzen, trademarked. And frankly, it didn't say much new on a day that definitely wasn't five years of Ryzen. To be clear to everyone listening here, Ryzen was announced in 20 or came out in 2017, not 2016. And the Ryzen name wasn't even announced until December of 2016. 
This interview was not five years of Ryzen. This was likely a canned interview planned to be launched in November or December of that year that they decided to launch early because they're worried about Alder Lake. But what was said in this interview? Well, in summary, we always knew AM5 would support PCIe Gen 5. At least eventually, they confirmed there will be AM5 chips that support Gen 5 PCIe. That's not new, though. At least from Moore's Law's Dead's perspective, Zen 4 can support PCIe 5.0 on all platforms it wants to as well. There were people talking about how it was surprising Zen 4 may support it. No, it's always been rumored Genoa would. So that's not news either. And in fact, Raphael can support it. The Raphael leak from Tom talked about how they are considering having Gen 5 on it if they think it's worth it or they can get it working at a cheap enough level. And then finally, in that interview, like me and Dan have just said, Zen 3 was never going to launch in 2021. And I've seen a lot of people in the comments talk about how AMD just confirmed Zen 3D isn't coming out this year. And I'm like, they confirmed that like a day after they showed benchmarks of it. And then I looked around and yes, there are some other supposed leakers, and I put leakers in quotes in this write-up because I just don't know how anyone listens to them anymore if they can't read at least Sue's own statements and were telling their fans that Zen 3D was going to come out in 2021. It, it wasn't. And pundits that thought this weren't reading. It was never going to come out this year. So in other words, PCIe Gen 5 on AM5, we knew it was going to happen. We always knew Zen 4 could support that. We always knew Zen 3D was not coming out this year. And it really did annoy me how many websites were running this as news. It wasn't news. The news was AMD confirmed Zen 5 would have accelerators similar to what Meteor Lake has. And basically, if you were to actually condense the news, it's AMD confirms Gen 5 PCIe and accelerators in AM5 Zen 5. (laughs) That's what they confirmed. But maybe Zen 4 will get PCIe 5.0, but yeah. we always thought it could. And I think that accelerator thing is a big deal because he talked about very similar things to what I've heard Intel's working on. And it seems like that's going to come out. Yeah, Zen 5 should come out in 2023 next to Meteor Lake. So there you go, guys. Interesting, right? Yeah, and I guess with the whole PCIe Gen 5 thing, like you can try to read into like the semantics of what he said on whether it confirms Zen 4 has it or not. But it... I think you're just trying to read too much into it. And ultimately, this just says Z- PCI 5.0 is going to be there eventually. And that's I don't literally I what I want to make a definitive yeah. statement on either end of that. And as far as the AI accelerators that you're talking about, I've said this to you before. I think I think that I, I don't fully know or understand all the implications of having these accelerators on uh, devices yet because they're just not there yet. But the fact that every single company mm-hmm. that makes CPUs is moving to put those onto their uh, CPUs within the next couple of years shows that it's going to be very important. That this <laughs> and, is something worth paying attention to. Yeah, and and seeing how the story develops, because I don't think these AI accelerators are just some stupid gimmick that every company happens to be investing in right now. Exactly. And again, I do feel like I'm starting to get my hands around what this will be roughly used for these neural engines that Apple's had for years. Um, After talking to that AI um, researcher in recent Broken Silicon, I mean, Basically, it's just another level below the GPU. If you really think about it, I mean, CPUs do one do like yes, no things really well and like control what everyone's doing. The GPU is good at so- solving like a list of things. You can call it in parallel, but really it's a list of the same type of operations sent to the GPU. Mm-hmm. 
And well, a GPU can do a lot of things that a neural engine would do. A neural engine is only 99% as accurate as what the GPU's calculations might be, but it can do trillions of calculations <laughs> instead of <laughs> tens of thousands. That's the order of magnitude more a neural engine can do. And so what you see is a CPU can, like telling everyone what to do, the GPU generally running things. And when an operation comes out, could be more efficiently done on a neural engine, the GPU, the CPU, throw that thing over to the neural engine and it solves it in a way that would take the GPU hours quickly and then goes back to the others doing what they were doing. And that these neural engines can take up like 10% of the die space and aren't using energy when not in use. And when they are in use, they save like an hour of work and tons of energy. That's why they're going to be added to everything. And they could allow us to do a lot of interesting things and AMD is going to add them. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's the thing you generally just see is, you know, you lose a modest amount of accuracy, I guess, 99% isn't that big <laughs> for orders and orders of magnitude, more calculations you can do. And I don't think you'll be able to like render or export using a neural engine because you want like complete accuracy with that. But being able to do trillions of calculations, trillions of times faster than a GPU <laughs> sounds important. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, it wouldn't be trillions, probably be millions, because I said millions, okay, because trillions versus 10,000, you have to like, use your three zeros. And yeah. So but yeah, I mean, and uh, I, I, again, I just think that's really interesting. I I saw some people in the comments of that video too point out that AMD's kind of been suggesting this before. But like, yeah, I don't feel like they said it this concretely before, though, because he also talks about different types of accelerators. And I really do think in a few years, you're going to see like, Lunar Lake, Zen 5 and whatever Apple's doing at the time, maybe even NVIDIA, who knows, launching chips where it's like, here's the accelerator for this. Here's the accelerator for that. Here's the accelerator for this. This is the, you know, like all of these accelerators for different things. And I think in most operations, we're going to have chips that are twice as fast as what we have now. There's going to be specific tasks where it's like, yeah, your 3950X couldn't even do that. And this, or, or this does it a thousand times faster. You know, in a similar way to almost thinking about how when we first started adding integrated graphics to CPUs, and sometimes that was just used to encode faster or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like that type of stuff is what we're looking at, except just at a greater scale and for more specific things. I think these companies are all starting to focus on these specialized accelerators now because they're they're seeing the eventual, I I would say, the inevitable... uh, loss of being able to like shrink your nodes further, add more transistors on the same amount of space. Like that's going to become a part thing of the past as, you know, we start reaching limitations of physics. So Absolutely. And I understand why there was this laser focus on trying to keep up as much you can with Moore's law about a decade ago. It's like you have to, people should go back and look at the era of like 2005 to 2010. This was where every year, 90 nanometer, 65 nanometer, 55 nanometer, 40 nanometer, like every year you would expect a node to come out that was like 50 to 100% better. So all effort should just be on getting a slightly better architecture out on that on time and not spending a year looking into if you can get Vcash working, (laughs) you know? Like, it makes sense why there was this laser focus on just node shrinks. It's like, hey, we know we're going to double performance, so let's just make sure it launches on time. But now that you don't know, like now that we see 5 nanometer coming out, really only, I think, as far as I can tell, 30%, 40% better 
by the way, than seven nanometer. And from my understanding, Zen, uh, three nanometer from TSMC. I've heard there could be some delays, by the way. I'm not going to double down on that. Yeah, I've heard there could be some delays on TSMC's three nanometer and that that is only like 20% better than their five nanometer. You're starting to see where it's like, well, we get more density, but we don't really get much else. What else can we do with this space at accelerators? Yeah, and, and like you say, they in the 10 years ago, they were being able to do these huge node shrinks every year. And it's easy. I wouldn't even say it's easy. It's like it just makes sense that that's where you would focus all of your energy because that's where the technology is. Once you start running into mm-hmm. limits is where you have to get creative and invent a new paradigm, though, because the paradigm of node shrinking every year by in- increasing density by 100% is going away. Mm-hmm. Dead of Night writes in, she says, hey, Tom and the Moore's Law's dead team. This would include Dan today, I suppose. How do you think AMD Rembrandt will compare to 8-core Zen 3D? Do you think it will be as simple as, uh, do you want a GPU? Or do you think there will be other factors due to segmentation? Do you think AMD might nudge us in that direction for adoption of AM5 DDR5 to compete more directly with Intel? Well, Rembrandt is AMD's Saison replacement. This should be 8 Zen 3 plus cores plus 12 RDNA 2 cores. Probably RDNA 2 cores with slight enhancements that they've been working on for two years. In a similar way to like, you know, Renoir had Vega, but it was like a lot better actually than the previous <laughs> Vega architectures. It's like 20% higher IPC and clock 50% higher. So that's what I think we're going to see out of this. Basically a GPU that I think is probably going to be twice as good as Saison's, maybe a little more than that actually. And a CPU that, well, Zen 3 plus versus Zen 3, I don't know. I think 5 to 10% better than Saison. In other words, below what I think Zen 3D will do. So I think what you're going to see, it all depends on what platforms they can put this on, right? I I think in laptop, it's just going to be comparable to their current desktop performance, as to say, Saison's performance compared to desktop Zen 3. That's what you can compare Zen 3D to Rembrandt's CPU performance. Pretty similar, really. Um, But, you know, if it has DDR5 support, I I believe... Rembrandt will mostly be for AM5. I don't know if they're going to do an AM4 release. And with that in mind, I think it's going to round it out just fine below Zen 4. I think, actually, if you think about it, finally, Rembrandt will be the perfect low-end APU below the Zen 4 ones. And so I don't know where they price that. It's all going to depend on how competitive AMD tries and expects to be with Raptor Lake. I'd say, you know, if 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 Raphael, which it still sounds like it, is indeed just 16 cores. I don't doesn't sound like they've upgraded it yet to me. If it's just 16 cores, but like 30% better per core compared to Zen 3 with DDR5 support and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I think they're probably looking at a $600 16 cores, you know, or $750 at most, and like basically Zen 2 rise in pricing. And then, you know, Rembrandt APUs that are six nanometer monolithic and priced below 200 bucks. That's kind of what I expect. The real question will be is if they have the, what? The Zen 4 6 core, like below Rembrandt and its segmentation. Does that make sense where I'm going with this? There's a lot of names I'm throwing around for everyone listening, but I'm pretty sure what I said is correct. And it's just, I know it's a lot to handle. The inclusion of APUs and uh, CPUs in their lineup just confuses things but 
you know, I, I get like just from a pricing perspective, it's hard to know where some like an eight core Rembrandt would fit in the desktop market. I would think that would be like 300 bucks still, though. Um, If it were to. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, you know, it's going to be weaker. I it'll be weaker than Navi 24, which we're about to get to. Um, mm-hmm. And so Navi 24 is like a $200 chip. And then let's say you have a 6600X that is their six core for 250. It's like, yeah, I don't know where you price Rembrandt though, because it's still pretty impressive. It's still basically (laughs) a 6600X or better in performance in the CPU department while also bringing you a graphics card halfway to a Navi 24 chip probably or two thirds of the way there. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think Dan, they would probably price it where if, if it were to launch on AM4, I think eight cores Zen three plus Rembrandt would be priced probably exactly the same as where the fifty seven hundred G is. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good point, Dan. Very good point. Um, let us move on then, as I just referenced to story number four. Navi twenty four launches quarter one to assist a beleaguered low-end GPU market. So I have a little write-up here. Last week, Moore's Law's Dead put together a summary of what people should expect from Navi 24, AMD's somewhat surprising low-end launch coming next year. In summary, all sources confirm a 120-watt desktop card and one that launches in quarter one of 2022. Multiple sources believe, at least in laptop, it is very competitive with the RTX 3050 Ti, if not outright being a better product. A card... The 3050 Ti, that is, that typically trades blows with an old 1660 Ti while having less VRAM. The specs cannot be verified by multiple sources for Navi 24, but at least as of now, that old leak from about half a year ago that pointed to 16 compute units, a 64-bit bus, and 16 megabytes of infinity cache seems to be what is still the most expected specs. And also, Navi 24 is expected to be a very small die. In other words, Navi 24 is shaping up to be something akin to a half Navi 23 that was always meant for notebooks, but may have been tweaked to launch into the low-end desktop market next year due to a complete lack of competition from NVIDIA and that department, and probably because Polaris is soon to be 100% discontinued. So either it one is likely a 16 compute unit card at insane clock speeds to be able to beat the 3050 Ti, a la XTX enhancements, on dies that are so small they allow for most of them to be golden samples that clock to 2.8 gigahertz. Or number two, something about those old specs is off, like maybe it's 96-bit or something. Either way, Moore's Law said likes the idea of a tiny card that clocks 16 compute units crazy high to save on idle space, and 16 megabytes of infinity cache should actually be just enough for weak 1080p frames or lower resolution gaming, and this thing should be priceable below $200 with good margins if AMD wishes to price it below $200. I'm just saying it can be, guys. Um, All right, so yeah, I leaked Navi 24. Basically, I think the most important information, expected performance, pricing, and launch time. I mean, what do you think? Um, I think think, uh, launching a die with 16 compute units could absolutely flood the market because I would imagine those dies are going to have insanely high yields. So... Hopefully, with that said, they can release an actual 1080p low-end card that I think that if it's clocked at like close to three gigahertz or some models would definitely come out at three gigahertz, this would do fine in 1080p. Like 1080p is easy to run now. 
if they could launch that for $200 and actually keep it at $200, I think a lot of people would buy it. We'll see if it has to, if it even has to come out at that low price, because seemingly nothing with price matters and maybe they could launch it for like 250 or something. But I think they could launch it for lower than 200 and actually have something resembling what a low end card used to look like come out. Yeah. And, and so to elaborate on what I'm saying about where it can be priced, mm, the 6600 XT is priced at $380. It's a real 380. You could actually get it at MSRP at launch. Obviously, you can't anymore because it's sold out. But mm-hmm. if that card's 237 millimeter square and 32 compute units, 128-bit bus, this is 16 compute units and a 64-bit bus. It's half of Navi 23. Now, there's more that goes into a die than just the compute units and the bus. Mm. So it's like it should just literally be half of the die space because of that alone. But I'm told that they're even removing some encoding hardware to make it smaller. So yeah, I think this is aiming to be a 100 to 150 millimeter squared card, maybe even just like 120 millimeter squared. And that, yeah, if they can get it to that size, half the bus, four gigabytes of RAM, Half the RAM cost. The board would be dirt cheap to make to support this thing. I see no reason why they couldn't sell it for $200 and have the same margins as the 6600 XT. They want to get crazy. You know, 6600 XT is pretty huge margins. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But it's because NVIDIA isn't even selling the 3060 to desktop gamers, basically. So that's why they can get away with it. Yeah, there's uh, there's no reason they can't get the margins they would even accept with launch RDNA 2, which is to say about 45 to 60% margins. And prices at $150. This could be just a $150 card that is about 66% the performance of a Navi 23. If you look at benchmarks of the 6600, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, like 70% the performance of the 6600, which is cut down Navi 23, sorry. If you look at the performance of um, the 6600 non-XT, I mean, guys, that thing, I know people get mad that it's like not capable of 1440p gaming that well. I think it can still do 1440p 60 with ease. And it does 1080p 100 with ease. So yeah, a $150 card that's most the performance of a 6600 I think this would probably be an easy, easy 1080p 60 gaming card. Probably 1080p low settings, 144 hertz gaming card easily. Uh, and, and there's a market for that still, I think. Yeah, I, I would say I think the definition of what people consider being able to run games in a certain resolution has changed to an extent. Sure. Where when you hear 1080p, people now assume you're a high frame rate gamer or something, but there's a lot of people that still just have a 60 hertz 1080p monitor that they literally don't need to run anything better than 1080p 60 hertz. Because a lot of people are like, you know what? This looks fine to me. I'm going to keep going with this. There's a market for that. And I think the idea that that's not quote unquote, not playable or not acceptable is inaccurate for a lot of people in the market. Yeah. Um, 60 hertz is still perfectly playable, guys, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of people are fine with 1080p, especially depending on the budget. Like when I pull up the RX 6600 review from TechSpot, I'm seeing this $330 card, which again, Morsala said leaked that price first. Um, or I think we're the only one that bothered to leak it. I don't even, I haven't even seen anyone <laughs> to talk about it now that I think about it. Um, 
like if I pull up this review in Death Stranding at very high settings, the 6600 is getting 135 frames a second. I mean, you know, a big part of my Navi 24 leak was going over the fact that, well, I can't 100% confirm the specs. The fact that I can 100% confirm it's a 120 watt card. RDNA 2's performance per watt is pretty consistent across the lineup. Like quite literally, if you tell me the TDP of a card, it's about, oh, it's within plus or minus 10% of that performance relative to the top one, which is to say the 6700 XT is roughly two thirds the performance of the 6900 X, uh, mm-hmm. 6900 XT. And it's about two thirds the TDP. Although that card is less efficient than the other ones in the lineup, you know? So if this is a 120 watt card, you'd almost think it should be 80% of the performance of a 6600. But I, if, if these specs are true, then I really think this is just something pushed to like 2.9 gigahertz with just 16 compute units. And that would explain why on desktop, it's probably not as efficient as it could be. Yeah, that's true. Excited for us to start getting these uh, three gigahertz cards, Tom. It's about time we we got clock speeds that, I, I don't know, it's just funny that we're at like clock speeds on GPUs that are comparable to like CPUs from 10 years ago now. Yeah, and again, you know, 16 megabytes of infinity cache, I point this out in the video as well, that is analogous to 32 megabytes mm-hmm. in cache hit rate if you're in 1440p. And as much as people don't like the 6600 XT's 1440p performance, it's above the 3060 if you look at reviews. So we are talking about a card, like, again, I'm just pulling up this review here. The average frame rate of the 6600 in 1440p is 74 frames a second. That's the, that's the average. That's usually with like ultra settings and, or at least very high settings that, uh, hardware unboxed. So that is to say, if you turn down a few settings, the 6600 is a 60 hertz locked 1440p card. You know, okay, then I would say half the compute unit, 16 megabytes of infinity cache. I think it's, yeah, I think the I think that just 16 compute units, just 16 megabytes of infinity cache, I think even in 1080p, this thing will be a locked 1080p, probably 75 hertz card. Yeah, and also to looking at that 6600 review, um, there's a Cyberpunk 2077 outlier in the performance mm. that lowers it a lot, like... Watchdog Legion and Cyberpunk 2077 both got below 60 frames per second, Cyberpunk being at like 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything else was above 60 FPS in that review at 1440p. So I don't like, I think Navi 24 could just be a 60 hertz locked, which a 1080p 60 hertz locked GPU is, has a strong place in the market still. At the right price, which is why if it only has four gigabytes, I really think 180 is the most they should go with. And I think at 180, they have the same profit margins as the 6600 XT, if not close. So that's what I'm hoping happens. If they want to do more than that, I I don't know, 60 megabytes of infinity cache. This is kind of like the RTX 3060 situation where you're like, well, should AMD give it eight gigabytes and charge 250? Because I think they might consider doing that. I don't think so. I think just keep four gigabytes, which is enough for 1080p and make it as cheap as possible. I really think that's what they should go with. If it only has four gigabytes of RAM, it should be definitely be below $200. Like I've had more than four gigabytes of RAM since like 2014. And I'm assuming a lot of people that listen to this podcast have four gigabytes of RAM isn't that much anymore. Yeah. 
Beefish writes in, he says, your recent NVIDIA Center video got me thinking of NVIDIA's place in the laptop space moving forward. Understanding that the bulk of the market is around RTX 3060 level performance, AMD has the 6600M and 6700M in this part of the market. Have you heard anything about ARC at this level, the 384 uh, mobile variant? How do you see Navi 24 and ARC 128 execution units stacking up in the low wattage discrete GPU battle? I have talked about this in my recent ARC leaks. I mean, I've said that the 128 execution unit ARC, I expect to be around 1650 to 1650 super performance while using mm, maybe half the energy of the 1650 super, but that's 12 nanometers. So no surprise that really if NVIDIA wanted to, they could have something in that market on desktop. They just haven't bothered to service this market. Um, the, the one thing I would say though, is if they did launch the 3050 uh, Ti, to desktop, the current laptop offering, to my knowledge, well, there isn't a mountain of information out there about it, is cut down. That actually the laptop 3050 Ti is 2560 CUDA cores, and that the full die is 3072. If that's the case, I see no reason why they couldn't push this thing to be very competitive and beat Navi 24. It's just, here's the thing. Navi 24 is meant to be a 75-watt card. So if they're pushing a desktop one to 120 watts, it's going to be clocked to the moon. And I'm guessing it's <laughs> yeah. still going to be competitive in t below 1080p with the 3050 Ti easily. And so, yeah, okay, so the 3050 Ti wins above that. It's not that strong. I don't know. I guess it could be a 1440p 60 card still, but, you know, I don't know. The way I would put it is mobile variants of Navi 24 I mean, they're likely to, at the same TDP, smoke the 3050 Ti, is, is, is my understanding. I still think if they can put bring this to market, there are a bunch of people that just buy NVIDIA GPUs. I think <laughs> maybe it's a stupid answer. I think a lot of people would still want to buy this just because they see an NVIDIA GPU for a reasonable price and go ahead and buy it. And I mean, the way to think of this as the market it could service in laptop is a, an absolute MX killer. Like the original yeah. NVIDIA MX cards were like 120, one, like between 80 and 120 millimeter squared Pascal cards with just a 64-bit bus. So they just put two GDR5 chips on it. And this is tiny little thing, you know, and it would still game in 720p pretty well and use 10 to 15 watts, which there's a market for that. I suspect that AMD could make a version of Navi 24 that is a four gigabyte card that competes with, you know, that is able to just use 15 watts and probably give you performance around an RX 570. And there's definitely a room for that to be in the laptop mm -hmm. market. You know, pair that with six core Saison and you have a, you know, 15 watt Saison CPU, you know, with a, RX 570 level of performance, 15 watt GPU, 30 watts total. I mean, you've got a absolute like MacBook Air sized chip that can do 1080p gaming. I mean, there you go. There's a <laughs> definite market for that. And, and that's what I think this was always meant for. But now I believe they'll also, they've put in some high clock speed tweaks that they've learned, you know, making like the 6900 XTX and all of those things. And they're just going to launch this to desktop because they can and they have no competition there. Yeah. Let us move on then. To story number five, RTX 3090 Ti is real for now. For months, there have been rumors of a 3090 Super or 3090 Ti, and despite Moore's Law's Dead confirming some of his sources have limited proof that this card is being considered by NVIDIA, Moore's Law's Dead and his sources have always been skeptical 
this thing will ever really exist. Well, now as leaked in a recent video, Moore's Law is Dead believes it is almost 100% confirmed to be launching in quarter one at 450 watts. That's right, OEMs are preparing to support, in quotes, a 450 watt NVIDIA card launching in quarter one. This is what they're preparing to support, guys. And it will add 5 to 10% performance to a 350 watt 3090, most likely to combat the 6900 XTX that is currently the strongest GPU on the market, although only really in the OEM market right now. Still, Moore's Law Z feels some caution should be advised because this is just such a ridiculous product. So yeah, this was like the last third of that combo Navi 24 3090 Ti leak video I did. Like, uh, So, I mean, there you go, Dan. We've always had rumors, including me, yeah. that this was probably a thing that could launch. I This is when I finally got the one of those final golden sources saying, no, that we're like preparing to support it. What do you think? 450 watt, 3090 Super, 3090 Ti, whatever they call it. Tom, this is the product of 2022. Everybody is going to be going out and spending $2,500 yeah. or whatever the hell they charge for it. Like, I, 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 this is a stupid card for like the person that needs to have the strongest thing and doesn't care how much money or how much energy they're using. Because at a certain point, I'm wondering if this is just going to be difficult to cool and put in any case. Like, I I don't really know what, what you can put this thing in if it's actually 450 watts and presumably bigger than the 3090 already is. Like, yeah. I've been making jokes about the performance of the quote-unquote enthusiast-tier cards forever now because I don't really think you're getting that much better level of performance than mid-range. Even mid-range sometimes. So, like, the fact that they're releasing this is funny more than <laughs> anything to me. Like, I, I just don't get the purpose of it other than, you know, once again, that person that needs to have the strongest thing, even if it's giving them no functional benefit. Yeah, and I mean, we have a reader mail here from QXE who says, Hey, Tom, 400 watts for a GPU are rookie numbers. So is 900 watts based on what Hopper could be. And I actually brought up this kind of jokey reader mail here because the world where I could see a 450 watt 3090 Super release making some sense is in a world where NVIDIA is already planning to launch a 500 watt Lovelace, which I have not said that I'm sure that's going to happen. But a lot of other leakers in some that I think have good track records have been talking about 500 watt Lovelace cards to try to keep up with RDNA 3. And so if, if Jensen's already like, we're going to go to 500 watts, then he's probably not batting an eye at 450 now. This is just preparing people for a world of 500 watt graphics cards. Um, and to those that would wonder how it uses this much energy, I included a link to Copite 7 Kimmy that's talking about how it's very hard for them to hit 21.5 gigabit per second right now. It's because... GDR6X uses so much energy the higher you clock it. And so, yeah, it just adds 100 watts to the card to add 10% more bandwidth. <laughs> Isn't GDR6X so great? You know, again, this is why AMD is just straight up not using it. They're like, it sucks. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say here. I, I, I'll add that also, though, the QXE writes in and says the reason he believes that the whole 3090 Super card is fake is that a lot of the rumors about a 3090 Super or TI talk about two gigabyte VRAM modules, which is to say, right now, guys, the 3090 has a ton 
of the RAM modules, we have 12, right, on one side of the PCB. And then literally on the other side of the PCB, which is this is also how the PS4 worked, by the way, everybody, they have a, another 12 modules. And so then they have to cool both sides of the PCB because of the RAM on it, you know. And because of that, you know, that's why the 3090 sometimes has cooling issues because sometimes the IBs cheap out on the cooling on one side of the RAM modules. Mm-hmm. You know, like half of the RAM gets way hotter than the other half. And that right now there are a lot of rumors circulating. That's what QXC is pointing out, saying that they're moving to two gigabyte VRAM modules. They don't have those issues and it's cheaper to produce the 3090. I think that would make sense if they have those modules. And I think that would be a good reason actually to launch a refresh 3090 because it'd be cheaper, better cooled. But QXC, if that is something you're sure doesn't exist, I don't know what to tell you. I didn't say it does. My leak confirms that there are OEMs preparing pre-built systems for a 450 watt NVIDIA card. That would be a 3090 Ti Super or whatever. If Mm -hmm. If it's being produced with two gigabyte VRAM modules, Maybe other people are saying it will. I don't know. But I would say that those designs are real, though. I can confirm that there are designs out there. I just don't know if that is what the 3090 Ti will be. Yeah. I just want to make sure I clarify that there. 0x000FF4 writes in, and he says, in episode 122, at around the 130-minute mark, you said that Lovelace will be 20% weaker than RDNA 3. I think that is a too big of a difference, especially for NVIDIA. Well. Uh, whatever, NVIDIA's lost before. I, I, I just, I'm sorry. I do thank you for your reader mail here, 0X000F04. But I, I always have a problem when people go, I just don't think NVIDIA would lose. It's like, well, they have before. But anyways, he continues uh, reader mail. But if this is the case, how much of the top dive RDNA 3 will cost will have good software support for machine learning? You know, these are things we're going to have to answer closer to the launch, my friend. And I've already done a video looking at the expected pricing. I think if AMD wins by 20%, they'll charge $2,000 for a special edition of the top card. So, well, yeah, if they can, they're, they're going to, and if they release something that's stronger than presumably whatever the hell Nvidia makes next it, like if they're preparing to launch a 3090 super, I would suspect they're going to try to bring the top end of their lines to $2,000 and if AMD puts out something stronger than that, mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe it'll be $2,300 or something. I mean, maybe you could d- argue that NVIDIA will try to push the power li- power to <laughs> an ungodly wattage. But it, it's it's getting to a point where if the 3090 Super at 450 watts exists and Lovelace will probably be at maybe 400 to 500 watts again it is getting to a point where i think it's ignoring the amount of heat it's generating it's getting to a point where it is hard to make a system that it could support a graphics card like that like cases i don't know what case you could even get Mm -hmm. power supplies like how big of a power supply do you even need at that point like a thousand watts i think at least yeah yeah, and a thousand watts might be pushing it depending on what CPU you pair with that. Like, especially if the <laughs> Intel's Alder like can go up to three hundred watts. Like, yeah, that means five hundred watts for your graphics card, three hundred watts for your CPU. Not to mention the amperage spikes this thing will probably make is a huge concern. And then the rest of your systems needs to fit. And then there's not much margin for error there. Yeah, a thousand watts at least. Like a thousand will probably work, but you might want to be safe and go for a twelve hundred watt. P- 
uh, power supply, which those are very expensive, I believe, like because no one needs to use 1200 watts unless NVIDIA starts putting out graphics cards that just, <laughs> I don't know, use the amount of energy as a small car. <laughs> well, and, you know, like the, my issue then would also be when it comes to the case, how is this card going to be designed? Because you can have axial fans that just blow all of the heat inside of your case easily below 200 watts. Th- then you have a few fans in your case, depending on how big your case is, it'll remove the heat. But if it's blowing 500 watts of yeah. heat into your case, I'd almost think that this has to be some sort of a blower card because it has to leave the case immediately. This is going to destroy everything in there. Let's just go to the logical conclusion of this. Do some like liquid cooling system that you have to put a radiator outside of your PC or something crazy like that. Like, because this is just getting to a point where, yeah, the the heat generated might damage your other components. Yeah. And and when it comes to the pricing, though, I'm going to continue this vein of thought into Ivan K's question, which lines up with the previous uh, submitter's question. He says, if RDNA 3 actually manages to get better than 50% or above on all performance levels across the lineup over RDNA 2, should we expect a major price increase too? I'm wondering how much value and performance you will be able to get for $700 or $500 next year. If you manage to grab a new card at MSRP on launch, recently I've rewatched the benchmarks for the 6700 XT and 6800 XT. And in my opinion, the performance still isn't there for silky smooth 1440p, 120 Hz experiences on high settings. Well, to the last thing you said, Ivan K, thank you for writing in, but I'm gonna have to agree to disagree. I have a 3070. And one 1440p gaming is a joke, even in like unoptimized Battlefield 2042 beta. I just ultra 120 hertz, one 1440 done, basically. <laughs> like, like I, I and I, I know that there may be some benchmarks where they find areas of the map where it wasn't performing well. That was not my experience, you know. And I even settled in, I believe, on like 4K 90 at mediumish settings, like somewhere on ultra and somewhere mm-hmm. on low. And I got 4K 80 hertz on a 3070. So, no, I disagree. I think 1440p, I mean, look, we were just talking about it and the, I haven't pulled up still, let me see, in the, yeah, in the 6600 review, not even the XT, not on average gets 74 hertz <laughs> in 1440p. And my 3070 gets, according to theirs, 118. That's like mostly like high and ultra settings and benchmarks, dude. Like, no, nah, this is, 1440p is easy. I disagree. Yeah, and I'll also add like, Ultra settings for a bunch of settings on in video games adds an almost imperceptible higher level of detail, despite using a lot more resources sometimes. So like if you're if you really need that 120 hertz experience and you're at 118 hertz, lower one thing to medium that you won't even notice. And now you're at like 144. To continue Ivan K's question, though, about price, again, I just yeah. everyone watch my RDNA 4 early leak. I literally have a chart where I outline where I think pricing and performance is going. It's to say, I think RDNA 3 will probably double RDNA 2 performance, and I think RDNA 4 will be at least 50% better than that, which is to say, add it up, in about, and I, I think RDNA 3 should launch end of 2023 or probably quarter 1, 2024 is my understanding. Um because I've been told that RDNA 4 shouldn't take as much time to bring out after RDNA 3 as RDNA 3 is taking two. Um, you know, well, then that means in like 2024, we're going to have cards three to four, three to five times better than what we have now. And 
if I think 1440p is a joke now, I think in three to four years, 4K will be a joke for mid-range cards. You know, I mean, take mm-hmm. the 6700 XT and, you know, if I think RDNA 3 is going to cost 50% more, all right, so that means I think the 7700 XT is going to cost like $550, $600. But I also think it's going to be double the performance. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Or at least 50% more. Uh, depending on how they segment their lineup. So, I mean, that means, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do 4K 120, guys. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be stronger than a 6800 XT, 6900 XT. It'll be a 4K 120 card for $600. That's what I think. And I think the RDNA 4 version will maybe be 700. And I think that will play everything well. And that's where you start to wonder what the point of the highest end cards is anymore. There will be new effects and maybe ray tracing will be more of a standard then, but still... I don't think most people care about that. <laughs> you know, and, and so that's what I'm saying. I'm saying at each segment, expect prices to double by RDNA 5, I guess. But expect performance to be so much higher that a lot of people won't care. Most likely. I just don't think people will. I'm, and I know people are like, well, what about ray tracing this and this? We're, we're years away still from ray tracing being the absolute standard. And even then you have games like Metro Exodus that have full ray tracing. You can't even turn it off. And I'm able to run it in, with my 3070 at, with DLSS, like 4K 100. So I get like high <laughs> settings. So guys, I, I don't know. I think we're, we're going to be fine. It's just if you want the highest end card, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg, but it's also going to be absurdly powerful to the point that yeah. most people, only the people who are willing to spend that much anyways, even care if it's that strong. Yeah. And the majority of, vast majority of people don't even have monitors that can support that level of performance anyways. Yeah. Well, exactly. Want to get sent some nudes? I am proud to say that Vite Ramen is a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead. The Vite Ramen Company is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and engineered a tasty, healthy, and cheap meal that you can cook in less than five minutes. So if you're busy, hungry, or just looking for a pre-made meal that isn't expensive, get some nudes sent to you. Click the link in the description and use the code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on your order. This helps me, this saves you money, and this supports a good company. Buy Vite Ramen today. All right, let us move on to story number six. NVIDIA reducing shipments while AMD increases them in quarter four. Now, here is, I'm quoting basically snippets from the article version of that NVIDIA halts Ampere production video slash article I put out. Uh, Let me get into it. On October 13th, the RX 6600 launched at the price and availability levels leaked by Moore's Law's Dead one week prior. This almost an RTX 3060 was indeed widely in stock for hours on its launch day near its $330 MSRP. However, as expected, that stock is drying up quickly while NVIDIA basically offers no reasonable low-end alternatives for desktop PC gamers. The good news, Moore's Law is Dead can confirm AMD will be massively increasing low-end and mid-range desktop GPU production over the next couple of quarters. The bad news, Moore's Law is Dead can confirm that NVIDIA is reducing Ampere shipments next quarter despite record demand from gamers persisting. And it's not just because of logistical issues. Multiple Moore's Laws dead sources are saying NVIDIA literally plans to stop Ampere production temporarily. 
That's right. Moore's Law Zed was tipped off to a rather wild allegation of NVIDIA's latest attempts at price fixing about a month ago. Well, this source was a very well-trusted one. The idea that NVIDIA would literally stop Ampere production during a holiday season was too crazy to run with until more sources could be consulted, and they were. The feedback from a handful of sources that are considered very reliable by Moore's Law Zed were fairly consistent and confirmed the following. As of now, there will be lower Ampere shipments in quarter four compared to quarter three. By the way, everyone, that's abnormal for a holiday season. Point number two, multiple sources indicate this is a planned and intentional reduction in shipments, not something having to do with logistical worries or some pricing dispute over wafers from Samsung, which again, guys, I'm saying shipments, not deliveries. So they're sending less. It's not that they're having trouble arriving. Multiple sources also indicated a refresh from NVIDIA in the first half of 2022, and it might be more than just supercards. So not only is NVIDIA going out of their way to stymie the Intel Arc launch early next year with a refresh as covered in recent videos, but they're also doing so while attempting to artificially keep prices high until that refresh happens. All of this makes sense. NVIDIA regrets not openly giving Ampere higher pricing than their fake MSRP suggested in late 2020. And the series segmentation has been a mess of confusing VRAM amounts and, and inconsistent price performance tiers. The only thing that is likely to get in the way of NVIDIA justifying a refresh that offers worse price performance than the cards they were on paper replacing is if the MSRPs on the street is incredibly high around the super launch. And of course, I also, if in Intel can launch a serious mid-range lineup, which when said NVIDIA refresh happens. After all, people will be good to remember the stock market likes to see a consistent rise in revenue every quarter. And NVIDIA is confident they are already going to have an excellent quarter before quarter four is even already done. It is common sales tactic to move back revenue into the following quarter if you are going to exceed goals of this quarter. I dealt with it in the automotive industry, guys. That's what it seems that NVIDIA is doing. So I have a lot of thoughts since this came out, actually, that I'd like to touch on. But I don't know. You heard about this. What, what are your thoughts on this whole thing with NVIDIA shipping less cards in quarter four and it's seeming like it's intentional? That's not good. And if, <laughs> and if uh, AMD is going to be able to deliver a lot of cards uh, at the mid-range level it, within the next, I mean, I guess we're in quarter four. So in this quarter, I think it will be a huge mistake. And I'm curious to see how uh, price trends change over time, because, you know, if you can't buy the card you want, a lot of people are just going to go buy the card that is at least semi-available and semi-close to MSRP. Mm -hmm. I think this gambit, if it's all just some weird financial play, will should largely fail if AMD is able to put out a decent amount of cards. Which, to be clear, my understanding is AMD is going to be producing a lot more Navi 23 and 22, and then possibly a ton of Navi 24 in like January. So that's the idea for AMD. But even if AMD doubles production or shipments of cards in quarter four compared to quarter three, which they could, I guess. I don't think it'll be double, maybe more like 50% or something. I'm not entirely sure. Um, even if AMD does do that, that's not going to make up for the fact that NVIDIA usually has like 70 to 80% of the market and is now shipping less cards when demand is this high. In a normal market, it actually might be enough, but demand's just out of control. Uh, as for like what you said, like it seems like an odd decision. You know, I have been ruminating on this quite a bit since it came out, and I do suspect something else is going on. Like I've heard suggestions that NVIDIA is fed up with AIBs keeping some of their pricing wildly high, and they're like, well, fine, 
you know, get less cards. <laughs> you know, they're not going to sell. You're not going to sell more anyways, unless you're willing to go closer to MSRP. So I think there's maybe a little bit of that. There's also maybe a little bit of tactical production. Like, look, NVIDIA, I didn't say they're not going to ship cards in quarter four. And I didn't say they're yeah. not going to produce cards in quarter four. They are producing cards in quarter four. And if they stop production at the end of October, which is what I'm saying, they'll probably restart it in December. You know, it's like, no, they're not not producing or shipping. It's just, there is an argument to be made that maybe they've realized they're going to ship more than they intended to already. And that due mm -hmm. to the giant slowdown in offloading ships by boat right now, which is a huge problem, they're like, oh, maybe true. we should intentionally just target quarter one. And the benefit of that, higher prices that we can keep till then anyways, when we'll have a ton of super cards to launch. It's maybe less insidious than you might think it could be. There's still a certain degree, though, of they could be producing a lot more all quarter four and then launch them in quarter one, though. There's still, and that's what I think they might have realized would happen. And I've had, universally, it's been told to me, no, 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 no. NVIDIA knows that they could still be producing even if there's a slowdown in shipments and they could flood the market in quarter one and fix the demand issues. They don't want prices to get below where they are, where they were about a month ago, you know, which is slightly going down. And so there, there's no way around it. I think it's more complex than just NVIDIA evil. But at the same time, yeah, I, mean, I am sure they intentionally want prices high a little bit at least. Well, you touching on that shipping slowdown is interesting because I do know, like from some podcasts and stuff I listen to, mm -hmm. like news podcast discussions of shipping, which I'm assuming they would ship to California, right? They would. And there's a lot of there's a lot of holdups at harbors there right now. Yeah, there's a, a ton of holdups in harbor harbors <laughs> harbors. Um I I've heard that like <laughs> the prices of of shipping a shipping container have gone up like three times in the past year. And if there's even further hamstringing of that ability to bring ships into port, that will probably go up even more. The tactical decision to just say, you know, Maybe we'll sell fewer cards, but we want you to pay all this goddamn money in shipping prices. <laughs> it plays a, a, a reasonable role into mm -hmm. why they would decide to. And, and I think that produce. is part of it. But that means that what they could do is still decide what their refresh is going to be, produce them all October, November, and December, and then have a huge launch in January. They're deciding not to do that, though. They want the prices to stay high and then to increase availability once they can justify perhaps a 4000 or super refresh where the 3060 super is like $480, right? For mm -hmm. example, you know. Andy1299 writes in, couldn't the slowdown of Ampere production in October, November just be the changeover of manufacturing space to devoted to super? Four months of cycle time places it as a first half of 2022 launch. That seems like a simpler explanation to me. Mm, I think it's more like a January, February launch, though. And I don't, it's still, though, it doesn't make sense why you wouldn't decide what that segmentation is going to be early and then just produce it through the month so you can have a gigantic launch early in the year, unless they know that if they did that, prices would plummet. That That's my thoughts. Yeah. You know, but it, like we did say, I think it's more complex than just, and again, you see people in the comments, NVIDIA evil won't. Well, there's always more to it than just ah-ha-ha, ha, but there is some ah-ha-ha ha going on. Tick Dickler writes him, when was the last time NVIDIA wasn't the biggest fish in their respective pond? Trying to muscle Intel out of laptops, which is another 
you know, I believe thing we touched on a couple weeks ago is like trying to muscle Apple out of pre-built computers. Also, is Intel getting ready to fight what NVIDIA is doing with their manipulation with AIBs for ARC? Like, are they planning to only bundle Otter Lake with ARC or are they trying to recapture the mark with the first good architecture in their recent memory? Cheers. Well, I, I think the reason I allowed this reader mail that seems to be submitted maybe a little late for the discussion is that I feel like my NVIDIA Ampere production video is almost a part two to that NVIDIA super and, you know, trying to have a GeForce partner program against Arc's launch video as well. Um, my answer to you, Tick Dickler, is I feel like right now Intel feels like they're big enough they don't need to worry too much about it, which is to say they have, I mean, think about it. Who makes AIB graphics cards? Asus, Gigabyte. They also make laptops. I'm sure they're like, I'm sure Intel will work with us well on these new ARC bundles and laptops if we continue working with them and get less AMD NVIDIA cards to sell because of their new, you know, GPP 2.0 thing NVIDIA is pulling. And additionally, it's just kind of been going to be fighting fire with fire. I think what you're going to see early next year is NVIDIA try to push AIBs to only work with Intel in a limited capacity. But then you're also going to see Intel pushing NVIDIA out of laptops. And... You know, like you say, maybe forming the deals with those AIBs that also make laptops for uh-huh. their production. Like, who who makes laptops? MSI, Asus. Those are the two big ones, right? I'm probably missing someone else. But. Yeah, Asus is probably bigger than, you know, the others as well. There's tons of, you're saying which AIB companies also make laptops. Asus is probably yeah, yeah. the biggest one. Well, Asus is really big for laptops. Like, mm-hmm. the amount of people I see with the... Uh, I see a lot of people with my uh, model of laptop, by the way, now. <laughs> seems like a... The Zephyrus, that's what it is. The Zephyrus. Yeah, the Zephyrus 14. It seems like that's doing pretty well and it makes sense. So I could see them having a pretty good deal with a company like Asus and also having a bunch of Asus laptops have Intel Alder Lake and Intel Arc graphics or something. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like connecting what I'm talking about with what's going on with Intel and NVIDIA back to that discussion of NVIDIA trying to be, you know, crappy towards Intel support in the desktop space. I just think that right now, if Intel can prove something that they think is arguably illegal, they'll for sure take NVIDIA to court. Intel loves going to court. But at the same time, Intel's like at the for the most part, man, we're going to hurt them just as much as they're going to hurt us. Just get ready for us to bundle ARC. You know, with which I will have a video coming out talked about mobile arc soon, guys. And yeah, I mean, Intel, NVIDIA is in trouble. It's not like Arc is wildly better than Ampere or anything, but they can just bundle it with Alder Lake, and Alder Lake is going to be the best in mobile. And then AMD, (laughs) if not, what's the other best? Rembrandt, which will be bundled with RDNA 2, six nanometer chips, probably. NVIDIA's in real trouble there. Yeah. Tick Dickler writes in again. He says, Tom, you beautiful bastard. Thank you. Your leak on Apple was spot on. Thanks to you, I knew to save up. Looking forward to a 120 hertz mini LED 10-bit 4K MacBook with a GPU around a 3080M and 20-hour battery. Thanks again, man. Yeah, I don't remember. I basically leaked what was going on with that 32-core GPU early and what we should expect out of the performance levels of their next Mac APU, which is, I think I said, like, hey, it's going to have industry-leading CPU performance in a 3070, roughly. And, uh, well, if we move on to story number seven... That is basically what Apple just revealed. All right, story number seven, Apple M1 Max APU revealed. Impressive, but not unbelievable. Did you hear? Apple unveiled a new APU. And as usual, all of the opinions seem to be either one, dismissing it because Apple's stupid, me no like, or two, 
acting like Apple harnessed alien technology. Neither is true. It's impressive, but not ahead of what Moore's Law is dead would expect based on its specs and manufacturing process. In summary, think of the M1 Max this way. It has 10 cores, and just like other new Apple releases, they are competitive in IPC with the best of Intel and AMD's latest core architectures despite using less energy. Also, it has a graphics card that seemingly competes with lower TDP versions of a laptop 3080 and sometimes mid-range desktop cards. It has industry-leading neural network and custom accelerators for its form factor, and it seems to use around 65 to 95 watts in this SoC, though honestly, that isn't 100% clear. You should wait for reviews on exact power usage. All this is done on a custom 5 nanometer family node from TSMC that utilizes up to 64 gigabytes of unified memory. So you guys kind of see what I'm getting to with this write-up? In other words, think about it. This thing is a custom chip purpose-built from Apple's uh, company for notebook form factors. It has the advantages of cutting-edge memory management systems, like having a 64-gigabyte like block of unified memory that a Apple can tailor all of their software and supporting software to support well. Because Apple's OS ecosystem releases only a handful of SKUs every year, these SKUs can do new things easier that will be well supported by developers immediately. And because Apple is writing the software in parallel to designing the chip, the software can be in a more finished state compared to what's required to support something, even like Intel's Alder Lake. Like Intel has to make Alder Lake and then write the software. Or, or, or then like, or then people like Dell and HP have to write the software or Microsoft does for Windows. Apple controls their OS and the design of the chips. They can make sure the OS is ready sooner, right? Intel doesn't own Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Finally though, but not, finally last, but certainly not of least importance, Apple is basically using a pseudo four nanometer node. Moore's Law Z has this on good authority from Daniel Nenny that Apple never uses the exact same node year after year. This thing is built on what should be thought of as early 4 nanometer. Guys, that's a huge advantage over AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA systems. So considering their custom design capabilities, the fact that they can program to the metal for their OS and design an exact SOC for their exact form factors, it's no surprise to Moore's Law is dead that Apple can make probably a 75-watt SoC that performs like an Alder Lake P plus RTX 3070 laptop chip. It's no surprise that they can have basically the same performance as something that uses double the energy. They have a better node, they're programming to the metal, and they've hired a lot of great engineers. I think this performance isn't crazy, but it's not. It's 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 impressive, but not alien technology. Th that's my take on it. A lot of people have been asking me about it. What do you think, Dan? I don't know if you, how much time have you had to like look over the like the early information on this? It's not fully benchmarked yet. I there's not too much to look at yet. It's like what the three graphs that Apple themselves put out and vague and graphs, right? At that kind of yeah, they show that relative performance. That's what they're emphasizing more than anything is relative performance uh, for versus power usage. Uh, Apple like M1 Pro Max and Pro are way more efficient power-wise, and they're about as strong as a 3070 mobile or, or 3080 mobile or something like yeah, that. Yeah, depends, and, yeah, on, which, on the power usage. Because remember, yeah. 3080 TDPs can, I think, go all the way down to like 100 watts or less, and so, of course, it performs way worse than what is effectively a 3070 Ti if it were to be pushed to 200 watts. Yeah, so I said, like, when the M1 came out, if they, whatever they follow up with is just as impressive as the M1. Apple has just proven themselves to be 
have some of the best uh, chip designers out there right now. And I think this shows that they are like, this is a really impressive follow up to the M1. And, you know, on their own ecosystem, they have something that's pretty comparable to what Intel is about to put out and a graphics performance comparable to what's already out right now with uh, NVIDIA and AMD. Yeah, it's just like crazy. I mean, like Raja Kaduri writes in and he says, hello, D- Tom and yeah. Dan. With Apple dropping the M1 stuff today and then performing at about a 3080 M while using 70 watts less, do you predict Intel and advanced micro devices release a high efficiency AP to try and hold their ground against Tim Apple? Or will they simply stick to adding more power as time goes on? Well, at the top end, they're going to add more power, but w- the 3080M is on 8 nanometer. Alder Lake is on 10 nanometer, and it's not even out yet, guys. Think about this. You know, Rembrandt will be on 6 nanometer. That's going to be a CPU probably pretty close to this Apple one that uses 25 watts. And though compare that to what a 5 nanometer GPU would be, you get about the same performance per watt as what Apple has now. It's just Apple's yeah. on the newest node. I know they say 5 nanometer class, but I, it's kind of almost 4 nanometer based on what I'm told. So I, I think, you know, will they release a high-performance APU? Hey, Rembrandt's coming, man. And, you know, Alder Lake's coming, too. They're just not out yet. Meteor Lake's coming. Like, these things are coming. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. We'll see how those stack up to the M1 when they come out. And maybe it will make M1 look a lot less impressive than it, already, than it currently does. Because, you know, once again, we're looking at moving targets. And... They are motivated. The graphs they're showing you, they are motivated to make their themselves look very power efficient because that's the thing they're emphasizing. So it's kind of even hard to know what they're comparing against exactly. any of these. Uh, like, I don't think they're going and I, I don't know, like using some four gen old uh, desktop. I mean, not desktop, laptop GPU to compare relative for uh, performance per watt, but. They're probably not showing like the most ideal circumstance. Right. If you look at some of their vague slides, like they just say eight core PC laptop chip, compact pro PC laptop graphics. I doubt they use the worst option. I doubt they use the best though. Yeah. Like what is this eight core PC that the uh, laptop chip they're using? Uh, I mean, I guess it could be Renoir, but. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And and so I guess, again, just to be clear, what, do, I, this is what annoys me when I see hot takes on Apple's new APUs, is you see people like practically pretend they're lying or it can't be possible. It is. Apple's got something that's probably 50 to 100% better price perform, I'm sorry, performance per watt than what an equivalent system spec'd out in laptop would be right now. Okay, but also they're not magic, guys. It's because they're on a pseudo four nanometer node. And when you're a $2 trillion or bigger company, guess what? You can buy the best note a year before everyone else. That's what Apple's able to do. So just know that if you buy this, it will be incredible, assuming it can do stuff on the apps you use. Like for me, it's probably not even considerable because it, it doesn't run Windows now. Um, but just know that you're paying extra, you're paying more, and you're getting this performance because they are on the newest note before everyone else. It's not magic. And there's probably like 20% of it is they also do just have some really innovative designs they're doing. But it's not all innovation. A lot of it's the node. And it's not magic. It's entirely believable. Yeah. And then to the 
I guess to finish off with the few and the at the anti-Apple people, there are I, I just always see these ridiculous takes online that like always try to figure out some way to inflate Apple's costs or dismiss them in some way. Just like sh- stop <laughs> and like uh, actually look at the products they're selling and try to analyze them intelligently rather than just saying, why is this laptop that they're about to announce going to be like, I don't know, $2,000 or whatever it will be and compare it to a completely different laptop, which is what you see a lot online. Like, oh yeah, this laptop is way cheaper on that's uh, for Windows. And it's like, yeah, it's also lower build quality and weaker. So I don't know why you're comparing these two things. Yeah, but it's almost the same thing for half the price. It's almost the same thing for you, but some people are willing to pay twice as much to have half the power usage. And a really nice aluminum frame. Yeah. That is something. I mean, some people want that. Maybe you don't, which is fine, but don't act like it's a mystery why anyone's buying this. People are buying these because they have advantages. Falto writes in, Hey, Tom, you've said on multiple occasions that Apple is coming for all of the three PC companies, Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD. So do you think these three companies will realize that maybe instead of fighting each other, they could work together to help each other and possibly hurt Apple? For example, the three could put effort to make sure their hardware is well optimized with each other's and try to maybe match the level of optimization Apple will do. This could help stop people from switching over to Apple. Or do you think they'll be too ego egotistical to work together and have to rely on brute force, which Apple will always be on the newest node from TSMC. So brute force will be hard to beat with that alone. Well, I would just say this is just not how I look at the situation, right? Like they are all trying to optimize for each other's hardware as much as possible. Like NVIDIA doesn't want their graphics cards to work horribly in an AMD system. They're trying to already make it as optimized as possible. And also, I don't think any of these companies look at it as them versus Apple. I just think they look at it like this. So if you're AMD, you're like, okay, um, our APUs are going to compete with Alder Lake. So let's make sure Rembrandt is positioned well and against Alder Lake and positioned well against Apple's APUs. And then in server, well, it's about, you know, Xeon, IBM. Make sure we compete with these new ARM CPUs coming out. And also Apple might make CPUs. So let's make sure Bergamo can take on that and Zen 5 can. And then you just look at each market in that way. This market competes with this. This market competes with this. Sometimes that involves Apple. Sometimes that doesn't. I don't think they see it as like Apple is one monolithic threat because Apple isn't pushing anyone out of any market. So it's not a worry yet. And, and I, I think I like you already see this. I don't know if you would necessarily consider it them teaming up together, but like when it makes sense for them to pair their devices or their products with one another, they do. Like the uh, A100, right? Was that what, what the A100 had uh, AMD CPUs in them? Their, their slices that they sold because mm-hmm. it made sense to spare them with that. And I don't think that's them seeing as we're no longer competitors and teaming up with each other. It's It makes sense to put these uh, CPUs and, these, uh, and pair them with these graphics cards. Exactly. Um, well, that's all of the main stories, Dan. Let us move on to the wrap-up. So, as always, these are just the final stories that we'll touch on briefly that we didn't think deserve like a full five to 20 minute discussion. So NVIDIA ends game ready driver support for Kepler G4 600 and 700 series families. Damn, my 16, my 660 Ti three gigabyte is now not officially supported in newest games. Hmm, sad. 
think one of my friends is still might be still using a 660. So oh, yeah. I, think he, I think he should consider upgrading. It's probably time for him to consider upgrading to Navi 24. That will offer, yeah, half the power usage will delivering what? Like, I think it's actually going to be around ARC's 590 performance level. So I don't know, triple the performance of his 660. <laughs> God, it's about time your friend upgraded. I would agree. It's about all I have to say to that, though, is it is getting old. And if you're NVIDIA, well, I guess the Switch still uses Maxwell, and that's close to Pascal, so it makes sense to support those yeah. for a while longer. But Kepler's just like, let's forget that ever happened. It never was that great, in my opinion. Uh, another one, NVIDIA A4000 performs 10% worse than a 3070. So, so hardware and box benchmark the A4000. It's a 3060 Ti that uses 140 watts. Mm-hmm. You know, and I might actually get an A4000 to benchmark within a month, by the way. So we'll see what I think about that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, that's about what I expected. There were some professional reviews of the A4000 that were saying it was as strong as a 3060 in gaming. And I was like, there's no way that's true. But that's the one thing that stopped me from testing it sooner. Is if I were to buy it out of my own be. pocket, I'd see that as a waste of money. But it's about, it's almost a 3070. Um, but if you're only gaming, it doesn't really make sense unless you consider the fact that a lot of 3070s on Newegg are selling for over $1,000. At that point, I would always recommend the A4000 with double the RAM. Use 10% performance for two-thirds the power and more RAM. I think that's a... I'd trade 10... I'd almost always trade... I, right now, I will trade 10% performance if all of a sudden I have 16 gigabytes of RAM and it uses less energy. Why not? You know? Um, apparently there is a Halo edition of the RX 6900 XT, Dan, for Halo Infinite's launch. I don't have much to say about that. Um, I, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Um, and let's see what else we got here. So this one almost could have gotten a main story because I have something to say about it. But so there is this alchemist sweepstakes thing going around where people were reverse engineering what they said, the like they're going to give away 300 ARC graphics cards in addition to Xbox Game Pass, six months of it or something. And if you reverse engineer all the things in the package, it pointed to Top Alchemist being $825 and maybe a mid-range one being $650. I saw someone in the YouTube comments message and go, see, Intel not a good guy. First of all, none of these cards are... None of these companies are good guys. Intel's not a good guy. AMD is not the hero. NVIDIA is not evil. They're companies doing business, okay? Second of all, I said to him, yeah, I haven't done a video because I think this is worth ignoring. I I don't really... Do I think Top Alchemist, which I'm sure will be around a 3070 Ti, or at least beat a 3070, will be $800? No. I don't know what this is. I don't know why it's priced that. That price is probably a placeholder. Anyone remember the Alder Lake leak saying it's going to be $1,000 with similar information? The Alder Lake's not going to be $1,000. So I, I honestly think this doesn't get a main story because it's not, it's where it should be ignored. But I, I have to put it in here because I think it should be ignored. Unless the top Z card is way stronger than we're currently thinking it is, there's no, it has no place being 800 what did they say? 25, which is a bizarre price point. Yeah, I'm sure they'll price it at 825. That makes sense. I mean, like, <laughs> come on, guys. Sometimes I just get disappointed and I'm like, I mean, obviously it's not 825. So I don't know what this is, but this is some weird placeholder that you have no clue where they're getting to that number with. Like, go look at the... Uh, the. There, I, so I think they're just taking the price of some bundle for some 
ZHPG scavenger hunt, subtracting the value of other things in the bundle and arriving at $825. Like that's what it looks like they did. I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. I think if they're trying to give it to someone early, I would assume someone is willing to pay a premium as well. I don't know. You know, all I can say is that Intel hasn't decided on the final price yet. So to say that this means anything exactly, this is some weird placeholder estimate is is the best I could describe it as. Mm -hmm. I do not believe Top Alchemist is going to be $825, guys. I do not think... In the hardware unboxed review, they're going to say eight twenty five. What a weird price! I no, I just come on. All right, another one here in the wrap up. Mi two fifty X. I added this one kind of last minute. XQ will fix leak this. I think this is worth talking about for a few reasons. He says there's an. Uh, we've always known about the Mi two hundred. I think over a year ago, I leaked information about Mi two hundred being a multi die CDNA two or whatever it is chip. Two fifty X. That suggests this is 25% better than what the MI200 was planned as. My takeaway here is if there's an MI250X, when behind the scenes it's always been called MI200, that means AMD's MCM work is going real well. And again, RDNA3 should definitely be expected to be at least double the performance. Well, I shouldn't say at least double, but roughly double the performance of RDNA2. Um, Mm -hmm. Although, again, look at it. 500 watts. So... You know, (laughs) top (laughs) RDNA 3 may also use 400 watts, guys. I mean, yeah, that's true. We're we're getting into an arms race of who can use the most energy at a certain point, so. Well, and I've been told behind the scenes that, well, the the 7950X or whatever they call the top RDNA 3 chip will use more energy than the 6900 XT. So I think we're expecting about 50% better price performance, I mean, not price performance, uh, performance per watt over RDNA 2, but... It's not going to be a 300-watt card. So I think, again, you're probably looking at something double the performance of a 6900X that uses 400 watts, if I had to guess. And then Lovelace will be like a 500-watt card that's almost as strong. Uh, Whatever. Rembrandt around the corner. That's the final one I have here. A lot of Rembrandt uh, leaks popping up right now. Um, I would just say I think it's probably launching in a similar time frame to when... Renoir and Cezanne launch, which should be early quarter one. So I think Rembrandt is right around the corner. And I wouldn't take draw too many direct takeaways from some of these leaked benchmarks. You never know exactly what's going on with an engineering sample. But yeah, all of this is starting to look like, yeah, it's about three or four months away. I think Rembrandt's mm-hmm. coming pretty soon. So I don't know. We're talking with bringing up, I think. Um, yeah. All right, then, Dan, let us move on to. The final reader mails, Steve Box TM writes in and he says, I heard you and Dan talking in passing about the W6800 AMD workstation card. Do you think you'd ever considering doing a review on it? Absolutely. If someone would send me one or something, like if they had one already and they could lend it to me for a month. But otherwise, I think it's like $2,200. I'm not, it's, not, it's again, it was $1,500. Maybe I would have bought it, but it's not, you know. <laughs> If I got it, it would be to test how impressive it is, which is to say the reviews I've seen point to the 6800 boosting higher than a 6800 XT while having the configuration of a 6800. So it's like, it in some benchmarks, I saw it almost performing as well as a 6800 XT despite using around 230 watts and having 32 gigabytes of RAM. Now in high resolutions, I think it fell behind more, but 
that's still really impressive. You know, I love to test mm-hmm. it. It's just when I tested RDNA2 early this year, its professional driver was not as good. Now, I'm guessing it's gotten way better, but I can't just drop two grand with the hope Why not? that it is now worth using over my 3070. But anyways, he continues, I'm considering it as a new content creator. I edit 4K video on a 1060 and it's basically impossible. I bet it is. Um, I've got a 1080 as well, but it's not quite where I want it to be. Considering the insane cost of gaming GPUs that put these cards close to the price of the professional ones, I'm interested in seeing how this thing performs, not only in workstation apps, but in gaming. Well, if you want my advice, here's what I think. If you need a new card now and it's in stock, and it often is for about $2,000, and you're making money off of its usage, so no, like, no, you really do need to buy a card, and you're like, should I get this or should I get a $2,000, 6,900 XT or something like that, I would go, ah, if you can make use of the professional grade drivers, I think get it. I'll tell you right now what it is. I don't need to benchmark it. I saw good gaming benchmarks, right? Uh, This thing performs above a 6,800 non-XT. This thing performs basically, yeah, I mean, it it, it performs maybe 10% worse than a 6,800 XT while using two-thirds the energy and having 32 gigs of RAM. If you can make use of the RAM especially, don't wait for my review, just buy it. I think it's worth it. Yeah, and like you say, if if you need it, something like this, the value proposition is different than someone that's just buying it as a hobbyist. So if you need it, get it. I mean, if you need to edit stuff as like a content creator, as you say, maybe something cheaper, more mainstream is better for you, but... This is yeah. in stock and has 32 gigs of RAM, so I don't think it's a ripoff, yeah. you know. Um, Tick Tickler writes in, Hey guys, I just spent the weekend on xCloud Beta playing the Series X version of Jedi Fallen Order, and I started to finish it on my phone. It felt surreal. I couldn't even believe it was playable. My phone has a 1080p resolution and was completely wireless using xCloud. And to be fair, this is just my subjective experience, but I don't know. I'm thinking if the Xbox One can get anywhere near this on Ethernet and it's included with Game Pass, that's got to have huge implications, right? I guess like Halo Infinite, it could be a big problem for Sony or end up a colossal fuck up, I guess, and blow up in Xbox's face. It's always 50-50 with these people. Side note, Halo Infinite's free with Game Pass multiplayer community will absolutely be nuts this Christmas since everything Sony side is delayed and doesn't end up a cyberpunk. I'm jumping back in. Do you guys think you'll give it a shot? Much love. Um, so there's a lot to take here. Am I considering playing Halo Infinite? Yeah, I'm gonna wait for reviews, but I'm sure I'll at least play it eventually. I don't know when, though. It's a huge backlog of games I still have that I'm working through. Like, I just beat Hitman 3, and I'm still gonna keep playing it every now and then, and I don't know. Um, In terms of this whole xCloud thing, you know, whether it will be successful or not, Xbox is certainly betting on it being successful. So, yeah, yeah. They want it to work well, and they want people to keep getting Xbox Series S's right now, still Xbox Ones, and using it. Yeah, and the only concern I really have with xCloud, as I do with any streaming service, any streaming gaming service, is latency. But you are playing Fallen Order. I haven't played Fallen Order, but it's a single-player game, so latency is probably not as big of an issue as trying to do something like multiplayer, which I would assume on xCloud is still... Difficult. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of the other things he brings up, which like, is Halo Infinite a big problem for Sony? If I'm reading that correctly, I'm not entirely sure. It's like, 
Well, I know Sony's pushed back their exclusives, but Deathloop isn't on Xbox, despite Xbox owning Bethesda. And Sony's already launched Returnal, Kenna. Um, wasn't there another one this year? I don't know. Stray is coming out soon. None of those are Horizon, but Sony's had a fair amount of exclusives to compete already. Halo is really the first one. So I don't think Sony's that worried. And I think either way, the PS5 is going to be sold out. If you think yeah. about it, it almost makes sense why Sony is okay with delaying Horizon and God of War because those games are going to come out about when supply starts getting better and that's when they'll actually need them. Right now, they can't keep it in stock anyways. They're making gangbusters money. I, I don't think Sony's that worried about Xbox yet. I, I just don't. But they better have their software and ducks in a row next year because that's when competition's really going to hit. I mean, yeah, they, they need to, but Halo will certainly do very well as the first, when was the last Halo game? Like, it's the first real Halo game in a long time. It's going to sell gangbusters, I'm sure. Yeah. We'll have to see what the review is. I have no doubt the multiplayer will at least be good, but that single player, I'm still like, hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Falto writes him, I was just wondering if the Xbox One era killed the Xbox brand how do things look right well, no it's not dead at all i think it tried to kill it but didn't quite succeed is how i would put it um could you predict like if we didn't get a new xbox and only a ps5 would microsoft have become third-party dev for sony nintendo or they'd only come to pc um i, I it, okay wait so his question actually now that i reread this seems to be what would happen if xbox one did kill the console brand um, I think you would have seen a wildly more arrogant Sony. You've already seen them just mm -hmm. barely not be arrogant with the PS5. Um, I think what you would see is them put a lot of games on Nintendo and PC. And I mean, I know some people that say they have it on good authority that they were already... Well, we've seen Gears of War 3 builds running on PS3. It never was released, but that's out there. So they already built the game for PS3, just never released it. And I know Colin Moriarty, when he's sure of things, he's sure. He says that they were considering putting the Halo releases on PlayStation. That would have probably been with them thinking about if they're going to kill off the Xbox console series. So all I would say is they would have put everything on everything and Sony would be more arrogant. And it's at least right now, probably a good thing Xbox didn't die because it's definitely causing more competition from Sony. And, and that's only good. I, I mean, I think Xbox just has a good place in the market. Like the Sony and Microsoft competing against each other is good for the market because without Xbox, you kind of do have this weird thing where there are three, without Xbox, there are three silos of gaming, but they don't directly compete as much. Like PC and Sony are competitors, obviously, but like, not as much as direct, I feel, as Microsoft is with the Xbox and uh, PlayStation. And then Nintendo is just its own silo doing its own weird thing. So I think having them more separated without the Xbox brand would be bad. So that <laughs> hopefully, I guess all I'm trying to say is Xbox keeps doing relatively well, but they're st they still aren't, do need to rehabilitate their, uh, their brand after the Xbox One.
you're saying they they can't get away with arrogance yet. They still haven't fully yeah. probably reached a level where they're... Because, you know, the, the PlayStation 5 is outselling it, and there is evidence coming out right now that um, Game oh, Pass pro- subscription climb is slowing a lot. That they're, shall we say, plateauing between 20 and 30 million. And they said they need to get to 40 to 50 to be highly profitable. So that's mm-hmm. a weird worry. Having said that, though, they haven't launched any <laughs> exclusives really on Xbox besides I, I, what, Gears of War 5? So like, I guess that from that perspective, they haven't even brought out their big guns yet. So they should be able to get more subscribers. But there is some evidence now that they may plateau at 20 million, which is not enough for it to be profitable long-term, according to their own statements. Yeah, we'll see when Infinite comes out. I bet there's a big uplift in Game Pass subscriptions when Infinite comes out. But yeah, I guess another thing I, but you know, that will also happen at the same time. They're mostly killing off um, these deals you can continually get on X Cloud. Like from the sounds Mm -hmm. of it, they are really going to make you pay $15 a month. Uh, Not X Cloud, Game Pass Ultimate. They are really going to make you pay $15 a month for it. So we'll see also if right when they start putting in the screws on, no, it really is $15 a month now. If a bunch of people just stop, if Halo is enough to keep people subscribing, it's hard to say, but what I would say is there's still, there's good competition now from them. And you can even see it bleeding into making Sony realize they should bring more of their games to PC, which is great. Like, cause what is it? God of War just announced it was coming to PC. I think Uh, I saw, Mm. you know, that's which play it. If you have not guys, (laughs) it's way better than I expected it to be. So I think this is having good things for people. Right, because it's making Sony bring games to PC too when they see Xbox's success in that realm, and that's good for everybody. Um, Raja M. Kadori writes in, and he says, Hello, Tom, from the Moore's Law is Dead YouTube channel. That is me. With Intel Arc being the real deal, and with XE integrated graphics expected to increase very nicely over the next few generations from Team Intel, do you see Microsoft potentially moving to an Intel-based SoC rather than an APU from AMD due to Microsoft and their love for Intel and the recent shortages from console? No. I, I think both Sony and Microsoft are locked into AMD for a long time. For their consoles. I, I absolutely yes. agree. I don't. You know, if the idea is, you know, in 2025, will there be an Intel APU that Intel can make on their own nodes so there's less shortage issues? No, I don't think so. And, and again, I can't emphasize this enough. The shortages going on right now are not TSMC out of capacity. There's hoarding, there's substrate issues, there's shipping issues. TSMC is not the bottleneck. So moving to Intel wouldn't help anything, really. Well, except that I think Intel is better at storing parts, but even then, they're having the issues with it, too. So I don't think it's that simple. Um, and that it would even help them. Tick Tickler writes him, Tom and Dam, as fellow from Hards, what do you think of the rumor Colin which I assume he means from Colin's last stand, recently shared about Bluepoint making a sequel to Bloodborne as well as remaking the original. The latter I expected, but the more I think about a sequel, the more it makes sense. In all honesty, I think From Software is just too esteemed now, or should, well, I would say too rich, to be interested in developing an IP owned by somebody else. That's probably why Kojima made such a fucking weird game with Dead Stranding that could absolutely not work without him. I don't know, maybe. I think it was also just him for the first time having the freedom to make something crazy different, and that's why it was so weird. But um, I was more into Demon Souls and Bloodborne than Dark Souls, so I can't claim to have an informed opinion, but I know Dark Souls 2 remains a controversial game. What do you boyos think? Um, I can't say I've really heard this, you know, or talked to Colin about it. I guess I could ask him, but 
I, I would just say this. I think it would make sense as a next step, maybe, in terms of if you look at the way Bluepoint's been operating, it's clear Sony's given them this like system of giving them more rope to make more and more different games. Like they make an uncharted, like they remade Metal Gear Solid 2, which technically they did with Konami, but then they also, well, not remade, they remastered. Then they remastered Uncharted. So they proved to Sony we can put a game on a console that's AAA at 1080p 60, but we're, we're remastering a game that's basically done. Then they make Demon Souls. Okay, we're remastering. Well, and the Shadow of the Colossus before that. Oh, and then Shadow of the Colossus before that. Right, Shadow which of the Which is really good. Which, I played that. That's a really good remake. Oh, I didn't play that one. Yeah, so I played Shadow of the Colossus. I did not play that remake. So yeah, Shadow of the Colossus, they're like, this is an old game that you're remastering, but it's not that complex. Well, they did it. And then they moved to Demon Souls. This is a complex remake. Like, we need you to, like, move something that barely functioned on PS3 to next-gen graphics on PS5. Oh, you can do that now. And then my understanding is they're working on a Metal Gear Solid remake. This is a remake on another level. PS1 to PS5. This is, like, another tier of you're basically making a new game. And then they move to Bloodborne. You are making a new game. But the first one's already been made. So guess what? It's not like it's going to be hard for you to draw inspiration. So I think if what they're doing is right now working on both a Bloodborne remaster and a Metal Gear One rem- Metal Gear Solid 1 remake, and then after that is a Bloodborne 2 sequel, that makes sense to me. I would hope they're consulting with Miyazaki on the story and stuff, though. And I would also say, as exciting as that sounds, a Bloodborne sequel is four plus years away, at least based on this timeline. Yeah, and if anyone other than From Software to, were to make a sequel to Bloodborne, I guess I probably would pick. And they made Demon Souls. Blue so, Point. Yeah, yeah, I guess I probably would pick Blue Point at this point. The one thing, like you say, I hope they will be consulting with Miyazaki or and get some really good writers on their staff too. Is because is the thing Blue Point hasn't proven they can do yet is write. <laughs> Exactly. And they're a very, very good team technically, but they still need to prove that they can write and create new mechanics. Which, you know, if you think about it, from software, he's he's onto something where it's like they don't want to spend all of their resources at their own company making a game that they know will only be on PlayStation where they make so much money on Xbox and PC and Switch. I mean, mm-hmm. Dark Souls is on Switch. Um, so they might go, well, no we're not programming and making this game because we want to sell it on everything and you won't let us. It's Bloodborne too. However, what we will do is let you pay Miyazaki and us to help consult on it. And then Mm -hmm. you use your own studio to make it. And that's why it's only on PlayStation consoles and eventually probably PC because Sony now puts games on PC. That does make a lot of sense to me, actually, why they would do that. In fact, this is such a good deal from some for, from software. It's insane. Like they can literally have Sony basically reverse licensing fee, pay them, and now they mm-hmm. get to have Miyazaki working on Elden Ring and Bloodborne Two simultaneously without their own engineers making Bloodborne Two. Is only a good deal for Miyazaki and from software. So this rumor makes some sense to me, but I can't say I can confirm it. Yeah, and you know, we don't know what Blue Point is working on at this point uh, as far as an original game goes, but they've definitely suggested they're making a new game that's not a remake. And yeah, this might, this mm. doesn't not make sense as the first new game they make. It makes a lot of sense. Again, the lineage, Uncharted, massive remasters, and then 
what did you say? Shadow of the Colossus, an even bigger, massive remaster. And then Demon Souls, an even bigger one. Then Metal Gear, then Bloodborne and Bloodborne 2. This makes sense to me. Why this would be what, this is what Sony wants to do with them. That makes sense. All right. That is all of the reader mails, all of the stories, all that we have to talk about, at least on paper today, Dan. I mean, another great episode, I think. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully you it. people, even if you're a lobster back, will agree it was good. Um, I don't know. Anything else you want to discuss? Any final thoughts for our listeners? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, then I will just do the usual plugs, guys. Double check your subscribe to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel. Ring the bell button. Support us on whatever podcast app you use. Give us a review on your podcast app. Make sure you're subscribed. This really helps our numbers there. It helps us chart and reach new people in the podcast markets. And if you have the money, support us on Patreon. You can ask me and Dan and guest questions. You get early ad-free versions of this episode you're listening to now. You get I mean, all, I mean, you, you get exclusive podcasts like every other week, at least it's, there's a lot out there for you. Um, you know, we, we could not exist without the Patreon support. That is really the backbone of what allows me to put food on the table and then pay Dan and Gerard and hopefully soon other people we can hire for their work and, uh, have a spooky, a spooky in a good way. Halloween, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye everyone. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan. Audio editing by Gerard Cortez and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead 
at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Mohammed Akwari, Frederick Lau, MetroCore, Justin Pear, Zachary Martin, Terrence Hara, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Duke, Jesse Jaskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lee Wilkin Kilo, Fatboy Deezru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchuk, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Allie Robinson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joaquin Hagen, so- Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., C. Jitz, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zuzu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stuart Lenya Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisnero, Layton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Denovan Russell, Noah Nicolella, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tant, Ulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoas Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Mitchell Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castile, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke. Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake223, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, Kaliik Souza, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My Sharona, Y Truly, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amy Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Wallace, James Anderson, Shakira, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV Couteau, Aaron, John Wazink, Sam Benzel, and thank you to Sahara for the music. 